0: all righty hello 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 just double checking on places to make sure that you can see us hello everyone make sure to give us a wave or whatever of your choice just to show that we are good and live and we are good to go all right let's get started let's get into indeed. it
1: indeed hello here from uh incredibly cold scotland it's um chilly oh i've got sound coming through from somewhere so i'm going to shut up for a second and let uh you say something while i go find <laughs> okay, out yeah, where the sound coming from.
0: uh it's not very chilly over here in texas though we are getting a lot of rain uh tons of rain which is actually quite nice because we've been desperately needing it but this is the second to last uh stream celebrating spooky month or october uh a bit of a uh, different day but people we have there have been people traveling around things happening so we've been kind of working our way up to this as uh <laughs> andy runs off to go take care of something but uh in any event one of the uh for this poll, we have built up to Mordheim it's embarrassing. The you're <laughs> all good. Mordheim the <laughs> Damn. which is very, very exciting because Mordheim <laughs> is not just a very, very important place, but also a full-on, very important game in and of itself on its own. Oh. A one that is very, very beloved and treasured. And I know I am with many people that are desperately hoping that if the old world proves popular, maybe they'll bring it back as a side game because it was a very unique experience, but uh, we're not really here to talk about the actual tabletop game of Mordheim. We're here to talk about the story. Oh, but, you know, it is an, an
1: important aspect of Mordheim in general, because if it hadn't been for that game, Mordheim literally wouldn't exist. It was a new creation that was built for that game. The entire storylines and plots that were put in place were all, again, built for that game individually so discussing that game i don't think it's off the mark particularly it won't given be the main
0: focus <laughs>
1: yeah, but it's <laughs> not the main focus it did have, however a massive impact on warhammer as a whole because it was when warhammer shifted from its slightly more cartoony era in the mid 90s to late 90s and then shifted quite deeply into the dark gothic almost bosch esque style that was presented by mordheim and then later filtered back into the main battle game but as we say, that's not the focus of today. Today, we're going to be discussing Mordheim, the city itself. What is it? Where did it come from? What did it become? And what sort of hellscape was it during the game, Mordheim? And why was it like that? I think we've got quite a lot of fun, th- topics that we can discuss today. But as is often the case with these streams that we do, we're going to take you back in time to begin with a quick mm-hmm. <clears throat> and in this case we're going to take you back in time to one of those rare points of synchronicity between the warhammer world and the real world back to 1999. now in 1999 Mordheim at the beginning of the year didn't really exist but by the end of the year in both terms the Warhammer world and also in the real world 1999 would be a huge year for Mordheim both the game and Mordheim blowing up like crazy in the year 1999 imperial calendar uh, over in the empire so as is the case for some of our previous screen streams there is a few important points to bring up first number one 1999 for the Warhammer world is important, and it's important in the same way that 2303 is important, in the same way that, uh, let's say, 25, approximately 20 is important, and it's important because it's one of the great incursions of chaos. Now, this one is often sort of loosely massaged and half forgotten about because it's not one that's discussed anywhere really outside of Mordheim, uh, the game, but it is hinted at here or there at other sources. Most importantly, though, we can say the following. It is a time of absolute woe. The world... Not just the Empire, but the world is in a state of decay. And the Empire in particular, it is fragmented into multiple different states. It has collapsed, really. The Empire as we know it today, or as it will be formed by Sigmar, has completely, largely gone. It is the start of the Dark Ages, where the Vampire Wars are about to go wild. And it all started about 20 years before the 1999 date of the Mordheim game, when Empress Magrita, uh, who is basically just Margaret Thatcher, 1979, exactly <laughs> the same deal, if you didn't know the reference here, but Empress uh... Magrita of um, uh the whole, let's just say, debacle around her causes the Empire to fragment entirely. It is a time of war where mutation has arisen, where magic, which is Formally illegal, has spread to the point that it's common to see wizards, often chaos wizards, bad, nasty, dark wizards, wandering around through the various halls of not just the local merchants and the halls of power, but the streets everywhere. Most nobles at this point have some form of wizard. Uh, There is not just magic everywhere, not just corruption everywhere. There's witch burnings everywhere. The smell of burning is in the air in every major city. And Mordheim at this particular point is a complete... The best analogy for it is for you 40k players out there, um, it has gone the way of the Eldar just as it's about to fall. <laughs> That's an absolute. So, yeah. for those of you who know your forty K lore, it's not a good time in more time, or it's a really good time in more time, depending upon how you want to see it. Uh, Thomas Prinnan, the chap who wrote most of the uh, a great deal of the more time material, actually released relatively recently an entirely new war band that was prevalent during the end times, as it was presented there. Um, and it was the war band that pulled down and destroyed the ruling lines of Mordheim and indeed Ostermark where they're from um, at that time and it's a fascinating read if you want to go out there and read it. It's an unbalanced warband if you are playing the game, don't recommend using it too much but it's an awful lot of fun and has a long screed of background about how Mordheim collapsed. We can perhaps get onto that at a later date if we want to do so. So, loosely speaking, we have got ourselves a time of woe. It is the end times, for want of a better name. It is a time of an incursion of chaos, where magic has risen and gone wild. Mutation is everywhere. Mordheim, in many respects, is at the centre of the very worst that the Empire has to offer. And it gathers an enormous amount of people there come the 1999 uh, kickoff point. So now we've established loosely where we are. more is mm. in Ostermark. It is a time of woe. and ever chosen at this point is out there for those of you who know about the ever Um, And the very possibility of a child of light, a champion of light is also happening too. We uh, we set up with what we go for the hammer of Sigmar. What, where would you like to go first?
0: Uh, uh, I think it might be. I think a good thing to start with Mordheim might be the state of the city as far as what the people of Mordheim were actually going through, and that it had become such a place of decadence. Like, yes, kind of what led into that, and how, uh, because the Church of Sigmar, of course, was being very not happy <laughs> about what was really going not. on there hey demitar um thanks very much and yes i will my new pc
1: has arrived it's on the other side over there i've been testing oh, it um, and, and, and i'm super excited and um, we're currently rearranging my entire house around it because this pc <laughs> the one i'm working on just now which doesn't work at all it's much it's it's a mess um is getting moved into another room but uh yes that will be happening that thanks that news excellent okay news. so there had been a general degradation of the empire for centuries. It had started with the major split of the grand provinces that had been put in place after the reign of Sigmar, um, and then had devolved into what became known as the time of three emperors, where you had yourself the electoral emperors Mm -hmm. based in, in, let's say, Altdorf, although Nuln and Altdorf would be a better way of putting it, Um, and to a degree some other places too. Um, Then you had the Artilian emperors, the Talabikland ones, and then you had the Wolf emperors in Midheim to the north. And these three central powers all claimed to be the true emperor of Sigmar's empire. They were all the true inheritors of it. Although it's worth saying that if you went over to Talapheim, you'd find that they had pretty much outlawed Sigmarism, but that's a different story. So, you know, are <laughs> they really the true heirs to Sigmar if they have outlawed the cult of Sigmar?
0: Hmm, well, have Definitely. our cake and eat it too, thank you very much. <laughs>
1: that's exactly what they were doing. So this had been, this uh, time of internal conflict had been going on for centuries, and it had brought about a general degradation that had been slowly but surely going off towards a cliff edge for literally, not just years and decades, but centuries. Ostermark which is where Mordheim is, uh, mm. was one of the bread baskets at this point of the empire. Wide open plains with forests to the north and to the south at borders with Sylvania. And I imagine you can imagine, gather just how bad that could be at certain points. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's worth also saying that in this point in the history, uh, the Karsteins are not known to be vampires. Um, The rise of the Karsteins and their takeover of Sylvania is ongoing. And by the time we hit the point of more time, it begins to flip and the vampire wars start
0: Really, really closely right after yeah, time. we'll we'll get into it. Mordheim will play a pretty critical role in that huge whole part mess. of that whole mess. Um, so we've
1: got ourselves um a state that's right over towards the edge of the empire, is quite isolated, but is relatively rich because of the wide farmlands that it has, the places that will become the Erie Downs far much later and sort of collapse into, well, not the nicest place to live, shall we say. Mm-hmm.
0: And do we know who they sided with in the as far as the three emperors were they with the uh, Attilans? Or, um, or-
1: they were. They weren't just with them. They uh, had largely been conquered by them mm. um, multiple times, and uh, the general view over in Talabic land was that. Ostermark wasn't even really an electoral province anymore, although it was depending on the politics of the time. So Ostermark had been repeatedly conquered and its borders are not the same as the borders that we know today. Its borders had been pushed back significantly um, by the invading Kislevites approximately 500 years before the let's say, the the great event of 1999. Um, So 500 years earlier, its borders used to span right over into what most people think of as Kislev, and they Mm -hmm. considered that their territory. It was theirs. They've lost most of that, and it's gone back to the forests of the empire as we know them today. And that the river there that stands between modern-day Kislev and Ostenmark became the new border. The history for the last 500 years or so of Ostermark is a conquered people, but a conquered people that were relatively rich because they had the big bread baskets that were so essential for the big cities of the empire and where they stood, and also essential for the three great cities that stood inside Ostermark itself, one of which was Mordheim, another one Bekhaf, another one, I forget the name off the top of my head, um, sitting up towards the north. Um, and those three cities were fed by this, and a great well of horses as well, Well isn't quite the right line, but they had big open plains where they had the veldt over towards the far uh, east of the area, and those horses are the they are pretty much the primary source of horses outside Averland that are used for most of the knightly regiments across the empire. So they've got themselves some pretty important resources, plus obviously the great mines of the World's Edge Mountains. And that richness also brought a certain level of decadence, particularly because the ruling Elector Count, if you wish to even call him that, the ruling Elector Count and the runefang that he carried, uh, wasn't really ruling in any great sense because he was a puppet of hmm. Taliban in many respects, meaning that they had time on their hands. A lot of time on their hands. A lot of time on their hands. And time, as we all know, particularly if you have power, tends to bring decadence anyway. And More time became, in many respects, a centre for this. On top of that, More time also had, uh, the many places that it has, it has got one thing that stands as an exceedingly important thing uh, Let's say location. And that's right in the center of the city on an island stands Mm -hmm. one of the most important abbeys, I suppose, um, to Sigmar in the Empire. Um, And it's important for multiple reasons. Um, It's important because it's the primary female led one. Um, There are obviously in the Empire several uh, various Corners of the cult that are mostly nuns or their priestesses or whatever. But this is the most important one because not only um, did it have lots of spiritual and historical and mythical resonance in that there's lots of stories tied with this location that go all the way back to the time of Sigmar um but it was also the primary one that nobles from across the empire if they had errant daughters or if they had anyone else that they wish to send them somewhere it's that particular abbey that they would send them to The oh,
0: rock yeah
1: <laughs> yes indeed the rock um and That meant that you not only gathered a great well of Sigmarism right at the heart of the city itself, but that well of Sigmarism was strongly related to families from across the empire, as they had various women who had come from various important families from various corners of the empire gathering there and being taught in the ways of this particular brand of sigmarism the holy sisters that were there Um, and the holy sisters there also had one thing which uh, stands separate to many other parts of the cult and they were strongly centered around the concept of augurs uh the concept Mm -hmm. of being able to see into the future and the concepts of being able to also to see into the past um and they had entire let's say wings of that particular part dedicated to seeing future receiving visions from sigmar and this comes hand in hand with what's about to come because
0: Yep. their augers and, perceive something about to occur yep and they were the they were the scary kind of augers too the ones that usually don't have eyes for whatever reason uh, which is why they usually have really crazy helmets or bandages wrapped around uh, something that uh, a character in Lawhammer is <laughs> dealing yeah, with. Yeah, indeed.
1: <laughs> um, and uh, who is also an auger, which is uh, quite fun in, in my game. Um, so uh, where do we even start? There are so many different ways that we could tackle
0: the next step. Yeah, so uh, I I think... Uh, I would like to take a moment to get a, just slip in a fun little conspiracy moment, a little, a little I theory thing. Well, I uh, just slip those in where possible. Cause Mordheim is very dense. Um, mm. So Mordheim time uh, is um, as kind of Andy talked about is this. And it's, it's a big city. Like there are a ton of people who have been showing up because of the wealth. It's bringing in more and more people, a lot of merchants, a lot of nobles uh, because almost anything can be found there. And they were actually very well positioned because Sylvania, uh, as we talked about, wasn't great these days. Uh, the Sylvania did deal with a pretty nasty set of circumstances a few centuries back during the Black Plague, where it was A, particularly devastating in Sylvania, and B, there was a big rain of um, uh, warpstone meteors that had happened uh, not too long before that, which is why a lot of the problems Sylvania has were there. And also, all those meteors brought the Skaven in large numbers to Sylvania, which was just awful and then of course that's where uh everybody's favorite necromancer van hal cropped up who actually is much more of a fascinating figure we don't have time to really get into him but he is he's a lot more dynamic than just a big bad necromancer because without him the empire probably would have fell to the skaven to be honest um but in any event sylvania had already had a lot of problems and so more was kind of that perfect distance away to reap all the benefits of really being the only major force in that little part of the empire. Um, there was really nobody else to contest them. And so they're reaping all the rewards and benefits of that, and the city is very well positioned defensively um, in that it, was a, it had wonderful walls, massive garrisons, uh, powerful legions, and it started to, of course, with that decadence, draw in all sorts of nefarious forces as well. There were a lot of agents of various powers that were involved in the city, not just chaos, but also the von Karsteins who were rising Uh, and nobody knew they were vampires. But Vlad was spreading his gifts uh, very extensively around Sylvania. In fact, by this point, I think most of the major houses had already been turned, uh, though most people probably were not aware of it. And the people of Sylvania were for lack of a better term, good at keeping their heads down and not asking too many questions because you don't ask questions in Sylvania or you're going to end up uh, dead somewhere very quick. And then there were also forces from beyond the Empire as well. Uh, Not only do you have like the Skaven uh, around because it is close to areas of interest for them, but where there's people, there's Skaven because oftentimes... I. I don't know if I would say that under Mordheim was a particularly large Skaven warren, but there was definitely a Skaven presence Uh, because where there's power, there are things the Skaven can use to manipulate and further their own ends. And the Skaven, in many ways, were still nursing their injuries from their pretty bad failed uh, invasion during the Black Plague, which, of course, went very well until it didn't because the Skaven fell to infighting, which they always do. But um, so there is something about to happen to Mordheim, which is that... Let's, oh, yeah, let's go jump ahead. into
1: that bit, because the excites me. The, the bit where it goes, now this ties directly into some of our previous streams as well. Um, mm. and whether we're dealing with uh, Tehenuwin, whether we're dealing with the coming of the end times, with Valton, with all of these great events. Because a great event is about to occur, and it was one that was prophesied. And this is the important thing to remember here, because it's going to make an enormous difference to the city. We are in a time of horrendous woe. There's witch burnings, there's mutants, there's monsters in the forest devouring people. It's a horrible time and despair is prevalent. We have nobles that have risen up and because they are indolent, they have got more around them, great wealth about them and peasants who are dying. It's a horrible time. But there is a prophecy. And this particular prophecy says that at some point, the city of, I think, Sigmar's sisters or some similar thing Mm. um, uh, will see a great comet above it and great wings of fire will blaze through the sky and Sigmar will return. And he will come to us in this great city upon a great throne. And he will come and it will all be great. And all, and all the northern <laughs> lands will fall. And you know the normal prophecy stuff. Now, this particular prophecy, which comes from one of the various cantuses of, what's his name? Macadamnus, I think it is. Um, uh, uh, Nec-
0: um, Necrodamus. No, it's not
1: Necrodamus. It's not oh, two the, different uh, ones. a different one. This is Macadamnus. Now, Macadamnus, um, as you will come to find out later, wasn't necessarily getting this prophecy from Sigmar. He was getting this prophecy from someone who was posing, effectively, as Sigmar. And there's all manner of stuff we can dive into here as to exactly what that was. But for those of you great lovers of lore, um, this was what would become the great replacement of Malal, the fifth chaos power, where these particular uh, prophecies were coming from. We'll get to that a little bit later. Um, That is the good old dark father himself. Now, these particular canticles had set up something that was enormous and a great event that would occur and would bring about Sigmar back on Earth. It would be the savior during another end times. And it became quite clear as the Sisters of Sigmar, sitting in their rock, the good old holy order of the Sisters of Sigmar, um, start receiving yet more great visions that, yes, the end times were coming, and yes, it was all terrible, but a comet was going to come, and it was going to come to time. Mm-hmm. Sigmar's coming! Yay! Yeah! <laughs> and they weren't wrong, because up in the sky in 1999, a comet. With twin tails of fire behind it, the great wings of fire that were prophesized screeches across the heavens. And for weeks it gets bigger and gets bigger and it get- wait a minute. For those of you who watch the moss stream, you might be hearing some similar things <laughs> here, but that's because yeah. it's the same story again. It gets bigger and it gets bigger and it gets bigger to the point that it eventually drowns out all the light of even the sun. Let's just pop up down from there, Hammy Uh there's Mohammed <laughs> posing a somewhere
0: Valton, saying nothing. Um uh, very <laughs> Poor Vaulton, more Vaulton. Everybody everybody likes dunking on Vulcan. <laughs> I, he deserves it. Uh, yeah, he <laughs> I
1: like Balton though. Um, so it's getting bright now. What does that mean to the people down on the ground? It means literally everything because this is a time of terror, of woe, and suddenly salvation is in the sky. So everybody starts to gather in Mordheim. Yeah.
0: Everybody. They they travel from all over the empire to arrive at Mordheim. Yeah. This wasn't a, a, you know, this wasn't a people say, oh God, it's an impending doom. It was, oh, it's the coming of God. Like there's there's words getting out there's a prophecy mm-hmm. sigmar himself is coming down mm-hmm. to save us there are rumors of some big bad chaos champion who we will talk about is coming and is coming here he's coming to fight sigmar we gotta go we're, we're gonna see this we gotta be blessed and of course i mean this is empire wide and yeah there's even people from other nations showing up to witness this because there's this big comet and a prophecy and that's going to be taken seriously and anyone People who have those kinds of senses can sense something important is about to go down. So you have forces but from other nations sigmar. appearing. Yeah, I it do. it wasn't <laughs> no. Sigmar.
1: It wasn't Sigmar coming. Just, just spoiler alert. It really, really wasn't Sigmar. And much like the comet that slams uh, into the borderlands over with Cathay and forms the Maw, the one that slams into more time when not just a few scores or a few thousand, but hundreds of thousands of people from across the empire. We're talking millions had now gathered in Mordheim. This is not a small number of people. And for those of you out there who love to debate, how big are the cities um, in Warhammer? Are they a few tens of thousands? Are they hundreds of thousands? The population of Mordheim at this point, we know, is in the millions. It's mentioned in the text in a couple of places, the words hundreds of thousands had gathered, not just a ten hundred or twelve. Literally everyone that could get their had. there was camps all around the city this place was absolutely chock-a-block full of crazed folks but they were not all sitting there going praise be to sigmar because corruption had completely taken the land by this point now we mentioned already earlier in the stream that this is the uh the upcoming build-up towards an end times to the point that at various points during the releases of time, they often say things like you know if you want to end the world now do it if you want to do it for your campaign that makes sense because this is quite literally an end of the world moment and in terms of the overall warhammer world story this is a point where the the chaos gods gave it a good go Mm. they failed but they definitely gave it a good go.
0: And and the other thing to really consider with those hundreds of thousands of people, like Andy said, is there were very different kinds of people having gathered. Some people were pious and had come to witness, but a lot of people were partying and uh, not, not partying well, in like a casual sense. Like they were getting <laughs> into some horrible, decadent, weird shit. Mutants were everywhere. Witches were everywhere. Cultists
1: were everywhere. And they all came out to worship this great incoming comet. This is a classic Sodom and Gomorrah moment if you are wishing to look at one. This is where the people are about to be punished for their sins and by the gods are they, but there is one group that manages to survive this and that's the Sisters of Sigmar sitting in their little rock in the very center of the city. And the reason that they survive this is because they have got their own prophets and Cassandra, one of the great seers goes, I'm not sure this is what it should be. Ah, and they pray and they pray and they pray and they do a host of old Sigmarite rituals that effectively protect them for what's about to occur. As the comet doesn't just fly over and drop a handy little Sigmar by parachute into the middle of all those people going, I'm back! Yes! It is time to be Sigmar! And I'm going to go reclaim the empire and whatever hordes are coming from the north, we're going to sort them out. Not a problem. No, the comet just doesn't stop. The comet comes down and it slams directly into and should destroy not just the city, but everything else too. But Sigmarite's doing their job, to a degree, lessens the worst of what would happen when this comet hits. But let us not think that this was a minor event. In one description, it's described as a pillar of fire that goes for miles into the heavens as it strikes and whoosh! an enormous Hiroshima-level, probably bigger event occurs. And everything in the surrounding vicinity is to a degree wiped out. The temple sitting on the rock stands and does not fall. Buildings are flattened near the very centre of the impact. All the way around the city, some fall, some stay up, ruins are left in their place, and those hundreds of thousands that have gathered are almost to a man eradicated. Mm. the big question is who struck and what struck according to some fables they say it was sigmar taking revenge upon the people for the great horrors that had occurred in his name in this great decadent city of mordheim however the truth behind it as we would later find out was much darker much more awful and spanned back to all the prophecies had been spoken about about the end times those prophecies had come from a source yeah hammond and the words boys bellicar barged in and said what's that noise man you're just jealous it's the peaceman boys (laughs) um and yeah yeah you're not wrong um (laughs) The Hammer of Stigma was almost anything but, and I think speaks to um, many of our previous streams regarding the various twin-tail comets that come (laughs) are normally made of warp stone, spat Hmm. out. And indeed, this one is confirmed to have been spat out from Morslieb. Go check our Morslieb stream for more on Morslieb. It spits out, it comes in, it orbits round, and it comes slamming down and into the very worst of cities in the Empire, almost like it was summoned there. Um, and
0: boom. But it was also carrying someone. Yeah. So uh, there are... So the fun thing about Mordheim, the really fun thing about Mordheim from a lore perspective is that in-universe, it is one of the f- fairly few scenarios that pretty much everybody knows about. And because of that, there are a lot of really fun theories within universe of different groups and factions trying to explain why this happened because everyone was smart enough to realize that something designed this to happen meteors as far as the, the people in warhammer world are smart enough to know that big meteors of warpstone don't tend to just fall out of nowhere on a very heavily populated city and eradicate everyone it came off as very purposeful and like andy said there are some forces especially the cult of sigmar who said, Oh, it was divine punishment. You got what you deserved. That's what you get when you don't do what we tell you to do is of course how they framed it. Uh, if you know, if you're out there and doing sin, if you're not following the words of Sigmar, he's going to chuck a meteor at you guys because that's what you deserve. Um, and what's interesting is there's been some, there's some interesting caveats, uh, within it of, there were also forces within the, the church that really did not like the sisters of Sigmar in particular, uh, cause they viewed them as a threat um to their authority and their power oh thanks for the cheers Uh, i'm not casting aspirations but cathay does have a record of so many big hunts of war show where were they when they went down well that see that what i'm about to say is within like newer lore with cathay being a more thing a more present thing i would not be shocked if there are wizards out there who learn about what happened with the great ma and go, I wonder if the dragon emperor did that because we were getting too powerful here in the West. We were rising up. We were getting too mighty. He saw us as a rival empire. And what if he threw a meteor at us? I would, I would, if I ever got to write like kind of a crackpot astromancer of the celestial colleges, <laughs> I would absolutely have a a weirdo within the celestial college who like rambles about that theory to anyone he can get to listen to him and everybody else just hates if they're stuck alone in a room with him because he goes off about how the Cathayans are throwing meteors at everybody but um what happens with Mordheim and the the main kind of uh thrust behind it is one particular baddie a very important baddie that a lot of people very much like who takes on a fun little bonus name um like, oh. Yeah, while he's in town, which is the Dark Master. Uh, Dark
1: Master. (laughs) uh,
0: The Dark Master of Mordheim, uh, who those who get close enough to him know as the Shadow Lord, which probably should be enough of a hint for you to figure out who it is, is that the grand architect behind a lot of what goes down is revealed to be Belicor.
1: Arguably the grand architect of everything that goes down is Belicor. Um, and when this uh, comet strikes it's seven days and seven nights which I always thought was not the most warhammer lineup, it could have been eight days and eight nights but whatever, mm. seven days and seven nights of pure hell the burning of this meteorite that has struck uh, makes it far too hot for anyone to get within the old walls of the city um, a pall of smoke and shadow covers everything and never really properly recedes where beforehand there was no night and day because that comet it was so bright that the night was as light as day. Suddenly all became darkness. And not only did all become darkness over the course of this next week of hell as we move into the new year, because it almost certainly struck down right on the Hexenstag. As we move into the new year and the Awfulness becomes apparent. Trees, in some places, grow within a day. In other places, they come out twisted and broken. Leaves fall off of everything. On evergreens, people start mutating. Those who were out in the periphery and survived it out in their camps, mutations start spreading like wildfire. People are becoming something new. Anything that survives inside the city itself becomes something terrible something broken. The elector count who had been cavorting like mad in there, Steinhardt, um, the elector count of Ostermark, um, he had died (laughs) along with his entire court, but some of the court survived in the most horrendous state. Indeed, quiet corners of the city, whether it was down in cellars, whether it was down elsewhere, have survived, and they do not survive in a kind way. They are properly broken by the horror of what this comet Represents not just because the comet itself has burned them, but because of what it's made of. And I think there is something important here to say because more time takes a step away from standard Warhammer lore here and presents a different version of what we all know as Warpstone. Um, and in more time, they present it as Weirdstone, and Weirdstone is just Warpstone. It's basically the same thing, mm-hmm. but the Weirdstone here has a host of properties that is not normally associated with warp stone. Not only does it have a host of properties, people are picking this shit up, just like it's any old other rock that might be lying around and not turning into crazed mutated dogs just for having a quick handle of it. The warp stone that's around here is different. And there's a reason it's different. It's because it has been changed to a degree by what's riding within it. The dark master that we've already referenced, Bellicor, who is who is pretty much the replacement for Malal, for those of you who know your old lore. He is quite literally the god of undivided chaos who never quite made it to the same height as the other four chaos powers. He is, however, even in the weakened state that we have him built up for here in more time, exceedingly and extraordinarily powerful, but somewhat stymied by curses that have been placed upon him by the other ruinous powers. So we've got this great spread of warpstone that's gone everywhere, but it's not like normal warpstone. People can pick it up and things start happening. Some people, as they pick it up, are healed. Others, as they place it against something, the thing they place it against, it turns to gold. Mm. Others, who are um, naturally wizards or witches or have some ability with magic, realize that they can just hold it and channel the most powerful, extraordinary of magics. Others realize that it can be used to fuel great holy Rituals, not just unholy, but holy rituals. Others realize it can be used for unholy rituals. Pretty much every faction that is out there in the Warhammer world sees something that they can use in this a Mordheim, very quickly, very, very quickly, no matter how dangerous it is, and it's insanely dangerous. Post this great impact becomes a centre of great interest because it is proliferated with this magical substance that is m- enormously useful and thus, in time, enormously expensive. And every single faction of pretty much the old world will be sending people there to try and grab this shit. But it's a little bit like throwing coins into a well five miles deep. It's just going to keep on top. The people go in, And most do not come out.
0: Yeah, one of the things that's really interesting um, about the Weird Stone is that it could almost be argued to a point that Bellicor did it on purpose. Hmm. And that it very deliberately draws in massive amounts of people, whether you want to look at that as massive amounts of souls, massive amount as potential supplicants or just suckers. Um, and <laughs> the thing that's important to understand about Bellicor in general during this is that all of this, all of this horrible suffering, all of this death, this mutation, madness, awfulness, which we'll get into, is mm. it's really just an elaborate escape attempt by Bellicor. Um, in that this is kind of his first really big, um, in in the more in the kind of the later stages when they uh inter reinterpreted more time to be around all of this, this is Melkor's first big play where he manages to get enough of his sanity together, enough of his power together, that he tries to escape being a completely insane entity that is bound in shadow that can't affect anything and is just forced to suffer and languish in a realm kind of next to reality. Yeah, And he um, goes all out mm, trying to mm. get out. Which goes now, to, to g- show that how terrifyingly powerful he is, even at just this itty bitty fraction of his power.
1: To give you an idea of how powerful he is, because this is something that is often asked, is that wh- who is Belakor? Where does he sit? Um, in terms of the lore, we'll probably do a video about him at one point. We don't oh, want yeah, to sure. get all the depth of it. Let's call it. That's not even a hem. It's an it. It's Belakor. <laughs> yeah. Um. The, this is one of the rare demons that transcends settings, He's also in 40k, and in 40k pretty much stands above the demon Primarchs themselves, he's above everything except for the four great powers of chaos. Most of the other greater demons are weak in comparison to Bellicor. Belakor is insanely powerful and gathered that power in the Warhammer world during the very first incursion of chaos to the point that the other chaos gods started to get a bitty worried now that might be a a bit of a projection here but it's fair to say that he ended up being very cursed for what he became um he was and he had his own greater demons Yep, and that that's that just to make it nice and clear he had his own greater demons he has a massive demon horde that is trapped waiting to go he is exceedingly powerful he's effectively that close to being more powerful or as powerful as one of the four great powers of chaos and the only thing that has stopped that has been a variety of attempts mostly by zinch to keep that fucker in place to excuse my language um so yeah this whole Mm -hmm. thing was orchestrated from him and at its heart it was the break of reality that was morslieb And that it's effectively almost the realms of chaos up there anyway, because reality itself breaks down with so much warpstone. That is how he broke free from the prison that he was in, and he comes down in this comet, he slams into Mordheim, but he has already sown the seeds for doing this centuries before, and we have a reason for this. We're not going to go into the great depth of what happens to Mordheim, because effectively time itself fractures, and Belakor is no longer an entity in the material realm that is given a fixed timeline of events. Because he can literally go through time because of what happens during the events of Mordheim afterwards. Um, and he ends up he ends up being Archeon's dad. There's all manner of crazy <laughs> yeah. shit that Bellicor ends up doing. He ends the world. Bellacore is the reason of for the end times. So if you hate the end times, blame Bellicor. Yeah, uh,
0: he this is where he actually sets them. a crazy amount of things into motion. Is he I, yes. I would yes, I would yes. say Bellacor is above Hatchet, he's above the Great Horned Rat. Um, like yeah.
1: Yes. I mean, he's yeah. got his own entire army of demons that are his own. Um. The the problem with Bellicor isn't what his powerful level his power level is. It's what is it when he's free and he's never free meaning that he's Mm. way below all of them in terms of his actual expressed power, the things that he can actually do, whether he's his shadowy self or whether it's post-crowning Archeon and he's much more material. Um, We won't go too much into Belichor, though, because this could easily be a stream by itself, but loosely, and when he's at his full power, he's pretty much not just sitting beside the four great powers, he's challenging them, which is why they curtailed him so much.
0: Yes, Uh, so the Shadow Lord... Appears over in more time, and he is very much using this weird stone, which is geniusly designed so that it will lure in everybody. There, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what you do, what your power may be. Um, whether you're in it for money, you're in it to help people, you're in it for yourself, you're in it for power, you're in it for good or bad reasons. Weird stone, you need it. It will, it will change everything for you, mm-hmm. uh, regardless of what your goal is, which is so horribly sinister because it's not just that it lures in greedy people. It lures in the desperate. It lures in the kind. It lures in the arrogant. Mm-hmm. And so all of these factions want it and are sending people, and that's what Bellacor needs. He needs people because Bellacor, he pulled off something really clever, which is that he basically kind of just turns Mordheim into a piece of the R- realms of chaos. Uh, enough that he could keep himself there he can anchor himself and he's not being blown around uh to an extent though he runs into some really <laughs> hilarious problems actually in the second
1: it's worth saying that um, as it turns out he's stuck there
0: yes <laughs> so Bellicor, okay there's a there's a very important caveat to include about yeah. Bellicor, and that he is a terrifying character but he's also kind of hilariously an idiot um, well, it's not, in, in this case, I, I, I'm going
1: to fight his corner because that's a general opinion of poor Bellacor. He's literally cursed by Zinch at this point to not yes. be able to leave. I mean, as curses go, it's not so much he's an idiot, Um, it's more that Zinch itself yeah, is, he, in, he, he is very off. much convinced that it does not want um Bellacor, who has the power of all four greater powers Within him, mm. because all four of them imbued him as a, a force of undivided chaos. He's the very first ever chosen in some respects, but he's the demonic equivalent before they went with the ever chosen plan, um, which was in many respects to replace Bellacore. Um, so yeah, he's not so much an idiot, he's insane, yeah. beyond out of his head and sadly cursed. I think yeah,
0: yeah uh, actually he yeah. fight his corner a little. Yeah, for <laughs> the, well, it's it's good to say he comes off like an idiot, but it's not his fault. It's not that yeah. he has bad planning or his ideas shouldn't work. Work, it's that he literally has a fate god who is one of the most powerful beings in the setting constantly screwing with his stuff to turn yeah. to, like it's kind of like the idea of the monkey's paw right of except for it's that when bellicor pulls off a plan zeach adds a, an asterisk or a caveat that makes it not work the way bellicor wants it to work totally. so uh, what happens and the, the real important thing is that an ever chosen actually shows up in this story an ever chosen okay. who very rarely gets talked about um and it's because i think there tends to be some confusion about him being a potential ever chosen as opposed to a full one but he is functionally a full one
1: he is the full one card on the gloried.
0: yeah who i believe is the 11th yeah Um, unless unless they go
1: and put another ever chosen for reasons that we don't understand between this point and as of our cool some 300 years later this is the 11th ever chosen um and all part of Belakor's plan because he intends to possess, become the Everchosen, rise up as the fifth Chaos Power and effectively go to war with the other Chaos Gods because he is Malal. Um, The great god Malal made manifest in a different way. For those of you who know your ancient lore, there used to be five chaos powers, not four, and the fifth one was called Malal, which was dropped for a variety of reasons in the past. And Belakor is a direct replacement for the whole concept of Malal, chaos that fights chaos. Um, And is a fun exciting interesting version which in different people's hands has both been brilliant and not so brilliant because he's often played for pratfalls um in some of the lore much as uh lore master sotek has suggested they have almost They almost like making fun of him or using him as a character to show how powerful their good guy is. Um, So they'll show how powerful their good guy is by having the good guy beat Belacore, who everyone knows is ridiculously powerful. It's a little bit like in Star Trek that whenever they wanted to show someone was physically powerful, they just beat up Worf with that character. Yeah, or
0: the Avatar of Kane in 40K. (laughs) That.
1: (laughs) Uh, Poor Avatar of Kane. I mean, everything kills the Avatar of Kane. Um, and uh, Bellicor is to a degree on that same receiving end of punishment
0: um, but the plan that he has for more time almost almost cools yeah. off so to, to break it down Belicor, a lot of Bellacor's plans actually tend to revolve around possessing an Ever Chosen. That's usually his kind of go-to strategy. Uh, and part of it because is... Because it's loosely what he was originally. Yeah, yeah, part of it is that for him, it's kind of a revenge system of that he is... The Dark Gods are assholes, and they very much deliberately gave him the job of... Bellacor is intimately involved with every Ever Chosen because he has to crown them. He's the only one that can get to the Crown of okay. Domination and put it on their heads. That is literally his job. Um, His curse. He, yeah, he's his curse. Yeah. And he, <laughs> he hates no it <laughs> because they're literally doing the one thing he wants, and the dark gods are like, ah, making fun of him. So he constantly is trying to possess that person, a because it's a clever move in the sense that it's so close to his goal, all he has to do is put himself in that guy's body and possess him, and he's right where he wants to be. Um, and once he has that form and he's off the crown and everything, he's basically unstoppable. But pulling off that little bit, this is uh probably one of the most heartbreaking moments for bellicore because he he pulls it off he does it he full-on possesses cardoon uh successfully he manages to lure him to Mordheim, which is very impressive and also i think very interestingly might suggest how of much of a unique ever chosen cardoon might have been in that he seems to have been a very stealthy and clever individual as opposed to kind of the typical big warlord uh type figure there was something a lot more sinister about cardoon but Cardoon gets lured into Mordheim one way or another, and Bellacor manages to get him into position and fully possesses him. Like, he invades him, gets all of his essence into Cardoon, he manages to break Cardoon's will, takes over his body, and is like, finally! Finally! And he's, a, he's a, basically a god, and he goes, alright, I'm gonna begin my conquest, and he starts trying to leave Mordheim. And it doesn't go well because the second he gets out of a certain distance from where the uh, the meteor impacted and his essence was kind of bound to the physical realm, his body starts to break down. Because what Bellicor did not realize that Zinch kind of pulled off is that Bellicor is so big, so bad, so powerful that Cardon's body physically cannot handle him being in it without a crazy amount of, like, magic warpstone to sustain (laughs) him. So if he leaves the city, he will die. And he will go back to fading into shadow. And Belakor goes, fuck, (laughs) goddammit. And he turns around and marches back into the city because he can't leave. He's stuck. But in his mind, he turns and looks at the very substance he used to lure in Cardoon, And is luring in everybody else and goes, if I get enough of this, maybe I can either augment this body enough or I can at least have enough to have like kind of a moving power station in a sense where I can leave the city. So suddenly now he is also joining the rat race to get as much of this weird stone that he brought in the first place because now he needs it. And this is a material that it like people have been grabbing and looting and like literally everybody is showing up. The Skaven are showing up because they're like, oh shit, this is a warpstone with even more properties, even more power, even more goodies that we can use. Clan Eschen in particular being a huge force in play. Um, The Von Karsteins heavily involved. Vlad is building up to his kind of grand reveal. And for anyone that kind of knows the lore behind Vlad Von Karstein his big ritual that kicks off the war- the vampire wars needs a unspeakable amount of warp stone um, in order to pull off because his grand plan to start things off is basically to cast a ritual that awakens all the dead of Sylvania, which is not a small task. That is a pretty fucking huge spell. Uh, and he knows he's going to need so much warp stone and conveniently, not only is this kind of almost super warpstone, stone, but it all landed right in his backyard. More time is right fucking there. So vampires start pouring into the city and it's not just von Karstein's, Like von carsteins are kind of the main playable faction, but you know, every single other bloodline was drawn to this too of the network. They want all in on that. Lamians. There's a lot of political powers and schemes going on. And Neferata wants to be involved blood dragons are showing up because rumors about all these different mercenary bands and horrifying monsters appearing in the city that's going to draw them in and poor (laughs) the poor um uh Ushorans get they they just unfortunately those poor bastards just show up everywhere but uh so now you have massive amounts of the undead showing up you have massive amounts of skaven showing up all the other chaos powers there are people being drawn by bellicor's whispers now because he needs cultists he needs agents he needs warriors he he needs needs more demons because he needs more and so not only now is he brought uh drawing in people that are greedy and he's now trying to get those people to fall to him uh this is why if you're playing in uh warhammer 3 bellicor I, I don't like that they've done this, but I understand why they kind of, though it's also due to some limitations, Things he has kind of a warrior of chaos angle in that he has a lot of mortal followers because he can offer a lot of power, a lot of sure. uh, other sinister things. So as not to get too caught up in Belakor, although yes. I'm
1: about to say more on it. <laughs> um it, because his story is intrinsically linked to Mordheim. Um to look back at Belakor's origins, we're looking at the very first demon prince. So this is the very first person that the chaos powers elevated and they all channeled a certain amount of their power into him. And he rose up and came to rule the northern tribes up in the north. Mm. Um he became not just powerful during the very first cataclysm, the great wars of peace. He became arguably the central part of their power in the Warhammer world, there goes anonymous So he's copying the gash with the Warp Stone. No, he did it first. Um, yeah, see, he, yeah, uh, yeah. He, all the way up at the north of the world, um, he he was in bathing in the warped energies that were coming from the portal, and he swole to as such an extraordinary power that he had thousands of demons that um, were under him. Hundreds of thousands of worshippers that are about most of the power, what the demons and forces that wandered the world from the north were his. They didn't come from the four great powers of chaos. They were his, but because of the very nature of what they were doing, the demons that were around him rose in power, became full demon princes, much like him, and that fragmented all the power that was around that to a degree made him a bit weaker. And to make matters even worse, when he realized this and all the demon princes went to war with each other, because he went to war with all the other demon princes for daring to try and take any of his power. So w- those who were once with him are now going to war with him. That was the war that gave the elves the opportunity to create the great vortex, suck magic out of the world, which made poor Belakor that relied on that magic for his existence to wink out. And he was cast out to the realms of chaos. And this is what he was attempting to avoid here down in more time. He's attempting to break free of the realms of chaos where he had been trapped. He was attempting to physically manifest in the real world. That's why all the warp stone is all over the place and it's being gathered up like crazy to empower him. He just didn't realize quite how much of the stuff he'd need and that the possession would not be enough. Um. So
0: yeah, yeah. bellicor He's he's very interestingly one of the characters who is very undone. He's not undone by weakness. Ironically, he's undone because he's too powerful.
1: Too powerful. Yeah.
0: Like he underestimated how powerful he is. Um, which is kind of a weird phrase, but it it is what happened to him. Uh, and in, in this instance, but um, when when looking at Mortheim, uh, specifically. Um, so the shadow Lord, you, whenever you do anything involving Mordheim, he gets brought up a lot because he is, he's the main baddie. He's the big bad. And he is, there's, there's a lot of characters that talk about his presence lurking at the center of the city where people who are blessed with the ability to perceive the winds of magic, uh, you know, often called second sight, or even people who have holy visions and things like that, they can sense something at the center of Mordheim this black abyss of just so much power and dar that it's it's almost incomprehensible to the extent that if you had characters that were of a particularly not strong will you could have wizards that could go insane just trying to approach Mordheim and witnessing bellicor's power because Mm. that's how dangerous of a threat has arrived in the empire
1: I will say, though, just to make sure that our timeline is clear, that um, this is not what Bellacor was when he first arrived. When Bellacor first arrives, he's an insubstantial, effectively a demon. He's the shadowy master that lies behind Mm. it all. Um, And as everyone is piling into Mordheim an attempt to grab various bits of weird stone, wherever they may be having, and most of the time just tearing into each other in the most horrendous fashion he is not this great demon that's sitting over it all going oh 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 um uh <laughs> he's quite literally a shadow master behind the scenes um the ever chosen has yet to arrive he hasn't tried to possess him yet mm. um he is gathering power to himself so that he can hopefully manifest and properly uh, free himself from all the curses that the chaos gods have placed upon him now was he a part of the chaos god schemes yes but was there a chance that he could break free yes um the chaos gods are fickle creatures as we all know he gained his power from them in the first place after all so um don't think of him as this great demon that's sitting there um in the heart of uh Mordheim being looked up by everyone like he's sitting on the horizon yeah, yeah, yeah. like a great video game demon it, that we it's all at,
0: yeah it's at the end of the the kind of song because Mordheim, the the events of it take about I want to say it's like two. Like, one or two decades-ish? Yeah,
1: it's not short. And it's fair to say that it's not really resolved for 300 years when Magnus the Pious is the one who comes along and breaks the... Uh, curses, shall we say, that sit upon more time, but in many respects do- don't even fix it then. All he does is <laughs> um, uh, shatter time in many respects, and it's not until go Trek, and Felix come along later all the way up in 2500 that um, more time finally is to a degree broken. Um, that's covered in one of the good old go Trek, and Felix stories.
0: Yeah, City of the Damned. Uh, yeah. Fun book, and also a really really, really, really important story if you want to read all the way to the very, very end, because it literally sets up the final two books. Does. But um, so we so we've talked a fair bit about Bellicor. And once again, it, it's worth talking about that. Uh, He is he's almost uh, in seen as a
1: pop up and say this one just so um, everybody knows. Yes, it normally would be Sunday, but I was down in London. I apologize
0: to everyone last uh, Sunday, so I couldn't do the cast, but I am here today yeah so it, yeah you can kind of it's not a bonus episode but if you want to think of it as a bonus episode because it's on thursday there you go <laughs> yeah there we go but um but uh the, and it's worth bellicor was not acting alone like he uh like andy said he was not able to possess a body until fairly late in the Mortheim saga of that kind of that like main series of early decades and because of that he needed agents He had, and so this is where his cultists come in, his chaos sorcerers, these individuals who very few of whom probably were followers of his before uh, he arrived, but many of whom converted. uh, Mm Of people who either due to madness or desperation end up joining the shadow, the dark master, um, falling under his sway because of his promises whether he promises power or in some really tragic scenarios, promising things that he probably would not actually have followed through on, such as if you (laughs) work for me, I'll get rid of your mutations or, you know what? I'll bring back your lost loved ones. Or, you know what? I will uh, give you some other like thing that you want. Like, I'll, Oh, you've got a horrible disease. I can cure that for you. Oh, you like, you want to uh, help feed your children or whatever. I've got, I'm a, Practically our, our master has infinite wealth, he has infinite power. Just come surfing. And if you prove yourself to him, then you will get whatever you want. And the dark master becomes one of the kind of the major forces within the Mordheim setting and a very prominent one of the war bands because Bellicor is almost kind of this whirlpool uh that's luring in the desperate and depraved, who for whatever reasons are working for him. And this leads to a lot of people, even more coming to the city and falling under some really horrible sway. Um, and some really nasty figures show up to work for Mm Balakor. Because like Andy said of that, he has his own demons, many of whom start manifesting within the city because it's so tainted by um, uh, Weirdstone that they can just appear. Um, this it's is... also
1: worth stating that's that that, st- that started happening before the comet even arrived. When the cavorting was happening, the cultists had gathered to worship underneath the g- arriving comet. Demons were already sleeping out from behind the crevices and popping up, and all manner of awfulness was occurring inside that city. So it's uh almost like the demons knew what was to come. The rise of magic was, after all, ridiculous. It was a it was an end times event. Um, if you want to look at it from the perspective of overall lore, this is where we have our Storm of Magic very much being the case. Yeah, yeah. So from the Storm of Magic books, if you go take a look at those, magic is going wild, and it is centering on more time, and it changes more time to
0: its core. Um, Like the Great Oak that sits yeah. in the corner of it. Oh, I was just about to bring Wait. that up. Yeah, there yeah. we go, you go for it then. <laughs> yeah, so the Great Oak, which is uh one of the new landmark buildings we got in Total War Warhammer 3 and it's really fun where if you're if you're playing as uh, either the like wood the elves, elves or as Belloc- any of the chaos factions you can build the great oak and depending on if you're a wood elf or a chaos faction it does different things which is hilarious uh because you have the wood elves showing up trying to tame this tree which is just such a funny mental image to me but the great oak so you may not realize it based on the landmark description how fucking terrifying the great oak is this tree uh, was already a beautiful, large, epic great oak that stands over the western gatehouse of Mordheim. It was Mm -hmm. practically a symbol of the city because of how grand and beautiful it was. But Weirdstone, Warpstone, changed the tree. And it got bigger. And it also (laughs) started growing deeper into the gatehouse and beneath the city. And it became, um, it got mouths and tendrils and tentacles. Growing red eyes. And eyes. And uh, it became the Great Oak uh, less of a symbol of good and more a symbol of absolute nightmare horrors in the sense that this thing is well over 100 feet tall on the outside. Um, If you actually go into the depths of Mordheim, such as into the sewers or the gatehouse itself, you realize it's significantly larger than that. And the thing about it is it is very alive and moving around it goes on a rampage.
1: Literally, yes, boom. It, it goes on a literal rampage. It uproots itself and goes on a wander. And yeah, it's it, hungry.
0: It's very yeah. hungry. And it eats a lot of people. Um, it is debatably one of the deadliest things that's in the city. Uh, in that, like, there's a whole note about it. Belakor and the desperate... <laughs> You know, well, that, yeah, that was basically Bellacor during the Great Incursion with all the other demon
1: princes. Uh, also, I'd like to just take this small moment halfway through to say um, thank you very much for everyone who's been dropping in super comments. And if you're out there thinking, would I like to make a super comment? I would just like to pose you this particular question. Would you like to help poor old Loremaster Sotek fix his car? If you don't know, he crashed lately. (laughs) And by the gods, did he take a ton of damage. And I don't just mean in terms of the car, but in terms of the wallet. So if you're out there thinking, would I like to, today's the days to do it. Because our good friend Loremaster is suffering financial car woes. I know he won't say it, so I've said it. Now, moving on swiftly.
0: (laughs) thank you <laughs> i appreciate that you just embarrass uh, him in the corner there <laughs> yeah thank you uh so uh the great oak um monster's horrible thing and just kind of to put the mental image because we're really celebrating spooky month there are um there are notes within uh the mornheim lord oh so okay this is this is something i know people uh, thank you hammond uh people have been asking me to bring up just because I don't know if you'll laugh at it or not. So for those of you that enjoy Stormcast Eternals, yes, Balthagar Gelt is a Stormcast Eternal. He's called Balthus Arum now. <laughs> he does come up. <laughs> um, uh, oh, Yeah, so even better, Andy. He survived the end times. Aren't you thrilled? <laughs> Fuck that guy. <laughs> but um, in any event... Of course he did. Uh, <laughs> um, in any event, um, what is... Uh, So the Great Oak, to put in how horrific this thing is and what people encountered, is that Mordheim is such a shitty place that a lot of people, very often not correctly, would assume that the most dangerous part of the city surely had the most wealth. That's where the most weird stone must be is wherever the most dangerous area is. Or you know what? I hear that there's a big treasure stash in the Western gatehouse. If you just go in there, apparently there's like all the treasure in the world. Cause people try, try to keep going in there. And what actually happens is if you tried to go into the Western gatehouse, you would see the great Oak at a distance and think, Oh, we'll just be quiet. We're safe. And you get down in there into the dark where there's no light and you might, and you wouldn't see anything at first. And as you get in, You'd hear the sound of creaking wood and then look and there would be vines grown over the exit behind you. And then eyes would start opening and you would be surrounded by thousands of tendrils made from fleshy wood like substance that are covered in eyes, mouths, fangs that just start crouching in on you. And there's no escape, and you're going to die. Like nobody ever managed to, until I think Magnus came much, much later, the Great Oak survived. <laughs> Thanks, Laughing God. Thanks very much for the chat. A gold mask cockroach. Thank you. I'm, 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 <laughs> Thank I'm, just you.
1: I'm just going to remove the word roach from that. Um, <laughs> let's move on to Camilla. <laughs> a vampire uh, cakes also get a landmark for the oak um it gives a faction wide regeneration to
0: bats love how they oh, that's awesome that i didn't know the vampire counts on got the it as well. Stuff. and thank you very much camilla super appreciated yes thank you uh yeah landmarks are some of my favorite things uh i feel bad for the ca staff because i actually i literally have a like almost microsoft excel thing that i send them on a very regular basis being in like y'all should add these things to these cities and these things in these cities and they're like please stop <laughs> but anyway <laughs> um so um what uh so that's the great oak but it was not the only monstrosity um it's the most famous but there the city was uh essentially carved up into different districts uh some of them fell under particular powers most were essentially just no man lands where the various powers would kind of go in grab what they couldn't leave um but we've kind of talked a bit about uh, the Skaven who are fairly obvious and there wasn't anything I think particularly unique about what they were there to do other than just gather warpstone. <laughs> Warstone, yeah. yeah. But I do think it would be time uh, talking about the actual different uh, Imperial groups, uh, most mm-hmm. notably the ones from the three different um, main powers of Marienburg, um uh or the Attilans and then the uh, Reich Reichlenders, um, which was a fucking mess because these people um were truly the greedy and the desperate like there were some bad people that showed up but like the regular humans that showed up were they did some pretty awful shit <laughs> in the hopes of kind of just making it big um and a lot of that involved horribly murdering each other yeah so um let's uh, move it on a, a few weeks
1: to months after this impact has occurred We've got ourselves a hellscape of a city um, where everything is turning against everyone that's within it. Those few survivors that managed to eke out some form of existence within there have mutated, become something strange. There's stories of giant rack-like creatures stalking through the old ruined streets. There's monsters and mutants. There's tentacles coming out of the river. It's really awful in there. But the siren call of this weird stone is enough to drag people from across the empire as it's Its enormous utility becomes increasingly more clear. And nobody wants anyone else to have its benefit. They want it thus for themselves. For example, you were the wolf emperor sitting up in Middenheim. You'd look down there and go, wait a minute, how come they're getting all this shit? We need to get this shit too. Send some fellows down. The Ottilan Emperor up um uh up in Talibic Talipine, Talib- pardon me, goes, Yes, yes, we need some of that too. Um, or if you're Magrita sitting all the way over in Marienburg, you're like, Yes, we can't let them have it, we need to have it. So people start arriving from across not just the old world, but pretty much everywhere, because this stuff is really powerful. And there's an awful lot of backstabbing going on to get access to this. People come from everywhere, and surrounding the city, this enormous shanty town slowly but surely develops. In the heart of it are the Sisters of Sigmar, in the heart of the city itself, with their seers still doing their thing. They hold the electric count's blade in there because they somehow got it. They got smuggled over towards their abbey during the last events before the destruction of the entire city. Many view them as the great betrayers. How did they survive? They must be aligned to the dark Mm. gods themselves. The ruinous powers have protected them. They are the problem. So those who are their natural allies, perhaps other Sigmarites, the Grand Theogenists themselves, sitting back in Altdorf, suddenly looks at this and goes, yeah, no, they are wrong and they need to be brought down. And they're sitting there holding on to what is one of the great symbols of imperial authority, a runefang being held in the center of this holy site, right in the center of Mortheim itself. And all around it is hell, but hell that is full, full of the equivalent to giant piles of gold, but even more expensive and more useful than gold, because it can turn anything into gold. It is the time of times. And Everybody, as we know, as we've said, it's a desperate era where everybody is already on the edge of their acceptable, let's say, positions in life. They do horrible things already. And now they've got this extraordinary uh, hope sitting in front of them. They can get rich. They can finally get something good out of this. And as we've said, the majority of the people that arrive uh, out in the shanty towns, it's not so bad. But once they get in. It's cutthroat, and the majority that enter never gets out.
0: Yeah, and it's worth even saying that the the real tragedy is there are a lot of people who are sent against their wills. Oh yeah, uh, more time. Of you have people that uh, you have some forces, especially within the Empire, who are so desperate that it's not even like they're just sending mercenaries, but it's also like they're arresting people, and mm-hmm. you essentially have like these. Um, People get enslaved and sent to the city and told, "Tell you what, we will we will let you go and we'll forgive whatever crime that you may or may not have actually committed if you bring us X amount of weird stone. Like if you go into the city, grit some weird stone, come back, we'll let you go home." And it's it's this, yeah, and it's it's an awful awful situation, and you even have uh, other forces knowing how deadly the city is and also using that as a form of political advantage where there are people being sent to the city who are very specifically sent there to die um and given that false promise that false hope of all you have to do is this job and you know oh you know if you're in like a wolf emperor and you're like oh there's these like really fervent sigmarites that are hanging out in the city that are protesting and they're being kind of annoying you know what let's send them to mordheim Oh, and mm-hmm. you have like a lot of you have some places that are going you know what oh we've got these beggars or these poor people that we don't want to deal with we don't want to have to take care of them let's just send them to Mordheim they can <laughs> get, they, they, they <laughs> can find their wealth there they could they could change their lives around but entire civilization and
1: um, almost society starts building up around this ex-capital of um, the empire now the destruction of Mordheim almost, by extension, destroys Ostermark. Um, The entirety of its upper-level nobility is almost wiped out in a single night. So huge swathes of what was once a standard, almost feudalized um, land no longer has any of its lords in place. The uh, lands are already polluted with the storm of magic that's going on with mutation, with troubles, and it gets anything much, much worse. I mean, it's almost like having a big warpstone comet hit. And spread all of its awfulness is a bad thing. What? Um, but Ostermark as a whole collapses as a place and will eventually become the League of Ostermark far later, although in some versions it was always a league depending upon which version of the background you read. Um, But for the actual place itself, um, it's not just that people came from across the empire, Back uh, back in the day, when they were playing the game back in 1999 into 2000 into 2001, there was a magazine called the Town Crier. And the Town Crier was a collection of articles for different types of gangs that could go down there, different kinds of monsters um, that might exist, different creatures that you could hire. And when I say that they really did tour the world, they did. There's rules in there for Amazons piling through Yeah, Lizardman. the... It has been going through uh, more times looking for their good old gold. They did, obviously, a host of... Surely there's a <laughs> sacred plaque here somewhere. <laughs> yeah, totally. Somewhere. They, they did They did versions of the rules which were designed to be played, say, for example, over in Lustria or designed to be played um, in the uh, search for the Nemesis Crown or some other parts. But loosely speaking, there's rules in there for Dark Elves very much looking for their own versions of the Warpstone in there for High Elves doing their thing. There's Cathayans in there doing their thing. There's entire carnivals worth of folk just coming in and doing their stuff. We have to
0: talk about There's
1: some pretty proper crazy Um, amounts of involvement from across the warhammer world in this one location and it makes from someone who's a role player a perfect place for role play as well because it is quite literally the place where adventuring bands go to make their fortune
0: yeah it should it should really kind of well and one of the things i actually think this bears a moment of actually talking about the tabletop game itself of the Mm -hmm. mordheim tabletop game was so deep is so deeply beloved and fascinating because it's not just an action or adventure or strategy game. It's a role play game. You build a war band that lasts for weeks of like real time play. Um, yeah months yeah of (laughs) like and it's it's a fascinating experience of you like you're hiring people and you're setting them up with equipment it was very very detailed as far as like every individual piece of your body could have different pieces of armor uh you could have all sorts of different weapons uh and they came with upsides and downsides you had like fascinating line of sight rules you were playing with verticality you were jumping across rooftops or moving across really like dangerous forms of terrain trying to come around corners and surprise and manipulate your opponents and it was a fascinating game that was awesome but there was so much role play to it because because you had a persistent warband you would build up these characters, name them, create a little backstory for them, and play a mission. And then somebody would get wounded. And while they'd escape, oh no, they lost an arm or they lost a leg, so they got a peg leg now, or like they <laughs> they lost an eye, and there were rules. For if you lost a body part, how would that affect your character? Oh, you lost a hand? Well, you've got these debuffs now, but you're a little better at dodging because you're lighter. (laughs) Or, hey, you lost a leg? Well, your movement, your agility are worse, but you've got kind of this other kind of interesting thing. And it allowed you to have a lot of really fun dynamic stories. Um yeah so
1: for those of you who know your old Warhammer lord you know the idea of the warband style of play had been going on almost since the beginning of Warhammer it got introduced heavily through the course of 3rd edition Warhammer when you had the Realms of Chaos books and in there you got the warband rules for building up your own warbands pitching them against each other to try and impress the chaos gods and take your champion and get that champion towards demon princedomhood before they became Spawn, Um, and that was the whole concept of the Warband rules. That had been taken and completely revised and turned into Confrontation and then Necromunda for 40k, Mm -hmm. and the Necromunda game was enormously popular, but obviously for those of us who were Warhammer fans primarily, it was always that game over there that I might have bought four sets of and played pretty much (laughs) end-to-end all the time, but listen. Let's just not discuss that part. Um, I loved Necromunda, but the idea of a Warhammer version of Necromunda, a game where you had that campaign setting where you were going, taking your warband and developing it game by game by game, and importantly for Necromunda, the whole point of it is Town Crier, telling a story, telling a story within the setting. It was a game that was almost designed to have a GM sitting over it telling a story for the whole campaign and the story of Necromunda, pardon me, the story of Mordheim as we know it, is effectively the studio campaign with Bellicor, the shadowy master behind it all attempting to realise its true potential and that's the story that became the story of Mordheim. So the very nature of the role-playing, if you wish, although it's not strictly a role-playing game, it's more of a narrative board t- storytelling board game yeah. um, but this uh this warband style war game I suppose equally but um, became not just the story of the game, but was also influential in how they pitched it everyone else to try and get you to tell your own story. As I said, um, there was the whole concept of the Child of Light, the uh, Ever Chosen's opposite sitting on the other side as well. Um, and that got moved over towards the Champion of Light. And they even gave rules for that much, much later for the first child that was born with it fr- fr- from the Sisters of Sigmar. Um, the entire stories that would become the end time stories that we would come to know and No, Uh, later date. I wouldn't want to say no and love, but certainly no and no. Many of the core concepts were interlaced and created for more time because of the stories that were told as their bands at the studio, and everybody's thought about how cool it was and sitting around uh, discussing what they could do to make it further. They had their genesis here, and and the end of the world setting that was what more time, and the real idea that the setting could have ended then. That was it, it was the end times. The whole, the end is nigh, it's coming. It's very much more time to its soul and later on the end times, as it is, pardon me. There's yeah, Hot Light. Hot Light, Thank
0: you. you for a very, very generous super chat. Thank you so you much. Rock. Thank you, so tuition much. for Warhammer History 101. God, man, I <laughs> wish that was a co- I, I, I would <laughs> love <it>. if, if <laughs> there's anyone that ever needs that. I, I would. Yes, Professor so Through <laughs> <laughs> uh, the great work, you guys are equipping me to GM and write. I am thrilled to hear that. Always happy when someone else is getting like into doing stuff with all of this knowledge and telling so, stories and introducing more people and, and yes, is that, bellicor is absolutely to play for the car accident. so
1: Bastard. i'm, I'm gonna since you did such a generous one i will say that bellicor is a source a, a true source of extraordinary warhammer tales um because he is the forgotten fifth power of chaos and um the one that the chaos gods themselves created and are afraid of because of what he could potentially become, i.e. their peer. They don't want that, assuming that you (laughs) ascribe anything close to a natural sentience and having hopes and desires to a chaos entity. But if you do, they do not want that. Their greater demons certainly don't want that. A Bellicor is that, and is interlaced throughout the entirety of the Warhammer world towards the end time. So if you are playing a game of Warhammer Fantasy role-play, ain't no wrong with using Bellacor to the point that um, we, our guest on our last episode, Gav Thorpe, uh, he and I, our adventure was pretty much focused around for his first book on Bellacor. Exactly what was happening over in Albion, where Bellacor mm-hmm. will rise again, not for this stream. Um, and why it's such a key component towards the Warhammer world and what it eventually becomes. So yeah, a super important character. I would argue, in terms of its influence upon the world, much more important than Nagash. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but much more because Belakor made Archeon. Belakor pretty much created the end times. The whole thing is a plan by Belakor. Mm. The Warhammer world ending was because of Belakor. Now it might have gone beyond Bellicor's intention, but that doesn't mean that it wasn't Bellacore that kicked it all off. Nagash was at the whims of Bellacore's plans. So, loosely, just to say thank you very much. Yes, do use Bellacore an extraordinary character that has had its ups and downs, but it's definitely worth plumbing into. Uh, hey, Biofut,
0: thank you very much for the uh, the the bits. <laughs> Uh Belicor couldn't be behind the car. That actually happened and went to plan. Nothing insurance afterwards. was <laughs> Yeah, uh, that's a that's a very accurate way to put it. No, that was, that, that was yeah, zinc fucking with the uh <laughs> god. Yeah, thank you. Uh yes, no, correct. Um but uh <laughs> So, okay, we've talked um getting back to the actual lore of Mordheim. One of the factions oh, yeah.
1: More time. <laughs> yeah, one of the
0: factions uh we have to talk about for a little bit just cuz they're so unique and a lot of people don't know about how fun they are in kind of like a horrible sense, we have to talk about the Carnival of Chaos. Ah, the good old Carnival of Chaos. You do like the Carnival of Chaos. The dreaded Carnival of Chaos.
1: Okay, away you go. Go for it. Yeah, so uh, my... uh, Oh, I I will say one thing, actually. Just one thing. I do not like that they use the word gypsy um to describe the carnival of chaos um which they did they should have used strigony or some equivalent um yeah, it wouldn't a, be great because
0: gypsy wouldn't really be a term in the warhammer world um
1: indeed anyway. so <laughs> uh, for those of you who are going and reading it afterwards just replace the word gypsy with
0: say strigony or work much better yeah so uh the carnival of chaos you know a lot of people when they think about chaos they tend to think what is chaos big like either heavy metal vikings uh, norskins kurgan or dudes in huge heavy plate armor uh horrible like monsters and stuff like that but there is another side to chaos um there there is there's the fun side the party side <laughs> which is uh quite frankly the carnival who were a very major faction um, within more time. They were not usually Bellachor's guys, they were usually an outside force, which we'll kind of talk about a little bit. But the Carnival of Chaos, though they do still exist today in the setting, they don't get talked about nearly as much as they should. But the Carnival of Chaos is functionally the concept of there are some people who come to embrace chaos and everything that comes with it. Where instead of them being mutated and they fall into despair or they become like full-on hardcore chaos worshippers or whatever, they kind of look at and go, well, we might as well indulge ourselves. We might as well cut ourselves free from the society that's going to burn us alive or is going to hang us or shoot us or whatever. And what if instead we embrace what makes us unique, we embrace what makes us different and we have a party now. There are forces within the Carnival of Chaos who have more sinister moves, um, and uh, look more to actually get the carnival to go to specific places to cause chaos and havoc. Um, Giancarlo Bellacore Esposito <laughs> <laughs> that's a name, you gosh
1: get undone by Skaven. I get undone by myself. We are not the same. <laughs> undone by Zeech, please.
0: yeah Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um but uh thank you hammond um i
1: appreciate it
0: yeah but the carnival chaos um they are a fascinating group where it is kind of what it sounds like on the 10 of that a carnival comes into town a carnival shows up they have tents they have performers they have all sorts of cool exotic things and they're very friendly they're very gregarious and welcome you in they're very they and they're kind of like a big family and they're so happy to see you and they invite people to come watch uh shows the likes of which you won't see anywhere else amazing performances by people who may look a little strange or be able to do things that people shouldn't be able to do but surely it's just an impressive trick surely it's just actors and uh, they're not actually weird abominations uh they
1: dedicated have- to nurgle
0: <laughs> yeah yes nurgle is very strongly themed especially at the carnival of chaos and uh And they perform this big, great show, and they thank everyone. They take money, and then they vanish very, very quickly and always before the authorities show up. And unfortunately for the people that often they perform for, very, very bad things tend to follow in the carnival's wake. Uh, Whether it be disease, mutation. uh, Something wicked this week comes, the inspiration there. Or you think you witnessed what may have been a harmless performance, but it was actually a ritual. Uh, Or it was actually uh, what we know kind of thanks to kind of modern horror as a cognitohazard, something that merely by hearing it or seeing it, it introduces a seed of corruption into your psyche. Um, And you'll, and it's, it's a very sinister force because on the surface it is so friendly. It is so jolly. They seem like the kind of people that would take in orphans and give them a life on the road, Uh, But the more you delve into them and you kind of look behind what they're actually up to, they are a deeply sinister group.
1: Yeah, the Twisted Masquerade of the Carnival is quite fun. Um, it's something that gets picked up with and reused by the role-playing game in a variety of different places. And again, almost always associated with Nurgle all the way through the pestilence that comes along with them. And as I said earlier, quite strongly uh, inspired by something wicked this way comes. Um, that idea of the travelling show bringing horror along with it and leaving a... Uh, bomb site behind as they move on. And it, it makes for a really fun uh, role-playing situation for those of you who are playing the role-play game out there as well, because that travelling group um, is... It's just super fun and super sinister. Um, Anyone who's watched any horror show that goes into one of those carnivals will know exactly what to expect um, because they are all espoused (laughs) within it. Um, And the carnival master himself sitting at the top, almost certainly a sorcerer of some power who is attempting to bring corruption around them, but more time grabs the carnival of chaos to it, and it becomes part of the ongoing story of the uh, corruption that comes along with it. And as I recall, it's pretty closely associated with Nurgle all the way through, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I, I, I adore it just as a setup. It was a really nice one. And as I recall, Mike Brunton, now he wrote the original, wrote chunks of the original uh, Realms of Chaos books. Mike Brunton wrote an article for Traveling Carnivals, um, which we were updating for the fourth edition. Uh, Mike Bruton was going to be the editor and all of the uh, Enemy Within, actually. Unfortunately, he sadly died. Mike is a great guy. Mm. You sadly miss Mike. Absolutely. Um, and uh, that idea has come up again and again and again in Warhammer um, th- with chaos. The idea of this chaos that is brought in and then moved on. Several of the Warhammer comics in Warhammer Monthly, for example, did the same idea. The idea of this traveling show that would bring chaos and leave nothing but chaos in its wake uh, presenting itself as if it was somehow acceptable and jolly. That idea of running away with the uh, circus, so to speak, mm. became nothing more than joining the chaos cult and being responsible for the fall of someone at the next town. Yeah. They're super fun and do like them. Yeah. <laughs> I, actually, this
0: yeah I would actually say this, this also really, I think heavily is what cemented the idea in a lot of people's minds about Nurgle followers being the happy, jolly, Laughing individuals in a lot of ways that are very welcoming. That's
1: right at the very beginning because um, the whole concept of Nurgle is uh, that that despair that often causes the fall um, as you look upon the horror that's been inflicted, the body horror that's been inflicted upon you, and learning to accept that. And that uh, think of the uh, giggling, gurgling, nurglings that are bouncing along, happily um, moving into Papa Nurgle, who's sitting up there, oh, oh, big Papa Nurgle as well, defying the despair that the very God represents himself. That jolliness, that happiness that stands in counterpoint to, say, for example, the plague bearers who are all sitting there almost mindlessly lost to their despairs. They drone their way through counting every single last disease that's ever been created and hopefully not losing their point and having to go back to number one again as you hear the drone of the plague bearers coming Mm. 3,000 four hundred and twenty eight three thousand four hundred and twenty nine plague bears are super fun as well but yes Nurgle has got and always has had almost since the first introduction of the god um, past first edition um, fantasy roleplay but most certainly when he was in third edition Warhammer um, that jolly aspect um, the uh, beasts of Nurgle as they were back then big slug like entities with tentacles pouring out of their heads and as they were back then they were almost enthusiastic puppies they come bounding up towards you and they'd lap away at you with their big, huge, tonguey mouths and they would spread corruption and diseases. They leave a big slime trail behind them and anything that passes that trail catches Nurgle's rot, turns into a play bear. It's fucking awful. Um, but yes, it's always gone hand in hand with Nurgle and I think works really well for that idea of the circus because you get these Those who are both lost to despair, um, because you get almost that idea of the acts that are trapped and there's nothing that they can do, bounced off against the Jolly Ringmaster or some equivalent, and those who are bringing
0: you in, super fun. Yeah, and Mordheim really dials it up to 11, where you have this hell-blasted landscape that's awful, and like there's nothing of joy to be found. And yet, Except in parts of the city, chaos. there's a carnival going on, and it's a grand party. I actually read a uh, Hammer and Bolter uh, short story, which, like, God, I wish they still did those. Wow, very that's a while great. ago? Yeah, uh, I was reading a short story that's about Mordheim. And in the story, you have a group of characters that are trying to avoid a carnival of chaos. And it's horrific how it's described that from the carnival's perspective. It's a joyous parade through these this particular section of Mordheim and there's hundreds of them it's this it's most of it is like these almost shambling zombie these plague victims who are horribly diseased and all they can do is just shamble and groan and follow after the carnival master who's just having a wonderful time calling people come come, on in! Carnival, come participate <laughs> and if they see someone he's like look someone new to join the festivities and all of a sudden this horde gets very active like they start running chasing after the person they see scrambling up the the architecture through the buildings jumping through the windows and that's just Mm -hmm. the people then like the a beast of nurgle comes bounding to greet you with horrible acids and poisons and diseases being flecked off where if you get even a little bit on it you're probably going to get infected with nurgle's rot which is one of the most horrific fucking diseases i have ever read about in any fictional setting it sucks because even if you die there's there's no escape even death will not save you (laughs) um and so the carnival is it's a fascinating faction within mordheim because they have such a juxtaposition of they increase the horror but it's like if you saw them from a distance it would be easy to mistake them as something to head towards something to lure you in of oh thank god there's people oh thank god there's laughter and merriment and then when you get close enough to actually see them realize oh no i need to get the fuck away from these guys like as fast as possible yeah so um i
1: think we're at a good point to say that loosely speaking we have got ourselves a hellhole of an ex-city that is surrounded by the politics of not just the empire but the world who have become focused on this central locus point a central locus point that has been created For an end goal, it is the Dark Master, it is the Shadow chap, sitting behind it all, pulling at the strings, attempting to break itself free from the chaos powers that have wrapped it up in this web of curses and madness. And it's a trying to slip free from this. And it's doing so by the very warpstone that it rode down on. If you could imagine him sitting there, sitting on the back of a comet. Um, yeah, he's pretty I much... India. Um, his essence is in every last piece of the warpstone that is spread across the city. And he's gathering that essence back together. And uh, his essence is also arguably what makes the warpstone there a bit different. It's what allows it to be more approachable, so to speak, because it is a physical manifestation of this ancient entity uh, that has changed the entirety of not just the warpstone, but the city and the world's politics as it becomes a central locus point for everything. And eventually it reaches the point where the good old Dark Master can rise, the ever-chosen comes, he tries to possess him. and There's all manner of stories there, but they're more the stories of the Dark Master rather than necessarily the stories of Mortime. The story of Mortime is that it is done fucked. It's proper <laughs> broken at this point. It's, um, it's ruined.
0: Done fucked. Yeah, the- <laughs> it is. Um,
1: and uh, the next steps for it are really just the Uh, gathering of everyone from across the world to this area so you can imagine the carnival not carnival big sea carnival of chaos but inspect the carnival of chaos of all the people that are trying to get in there the cutthroat nature of it the amount of death and horror that's going on here, the rise of the chaos powers, the rise of an ever chosen an ever chosen getting summoned to this city, that ever chosen being taken over by Bellicor, and the whole nature of these plots that are happening here, this is it's arguably, at this point, the most important city in the world. Because everything that could bring about the end of the world is happening here. And as we all know, it doesn't quite come to pass as good old Belicor would like, because the Everchosen that he possesses isn't so happy to be possessed, as it turns out. And Everchosens are not exactly without power. Um, his plan to possess the Everchosen doesn't quite go according to plan. The fact that he needs all of the warpstone because his essence spread across it makes it much more difficult for him to do everything that he wants to do. His hmm. plan doesn't quite work. But nevertheless, the actual concept of his plan was sound, and that was that there is a process in place, put in place by the, the ruinous powers, that those evil chaos gods, uh, to ruin the world, to bring it about. And they will empower someone if they go through that process. and um, He already has the power. What he's looking to do is to take basically all of that power again by becoming ever-chosen. And they can't stop it. It is pretty much a process because it's in the material world rather than off in the realms of the gods where they largely control things. It's here in the material realm. If if he goes through that, he will become not just more powerful than the Chaos Gods, he'll be able to lord himself over them. And he's also material as well as being immaterial. He has a good plan. It's just obviously they don't want it to work. So we have all of that. And it eventually arises with the complete fall of um, more time as a place to go, and it becomes that cursed place that no one goes to because there's no longer handy weird stone hanging around that You can just pick it up because it's all been used for one purpose or another. The uh, rise of the chaos fell, and it just becomes this cursed black hole that nobody approaches, and for good reason, as you find out when we do the Go Trek and novel side. Yes,
0: yeah, so... Um... So I think the point that we should go to here is probably kind of what happens at the aftermath of that. Uh, In some ways, it could be argued that for a good while, a couple hundred years, Bellicor gets functionally stuck. Um, Like he gets stuck in the city. And as as the weird stone dries up, so does newcomers. And the city kind of becomes more of an isolated hellscape that only the truly desperate, Uh, go to to basically run away from something else or because they've maybe heard rumors of Belakor or this dark master. But because he doesn't really have anything to offer anyone, as he gets stuck here, even his own followers either start to just die or abandon him and flee to other powers. And it's worth noting that there are some forces that actively um, try to cordon off Mordheim. Uh, Mm -hmm. where you have the Vampire Wars rise up, and that makes more time even more avoidable because it's so close to Sylvania. Uh, And Sylvania, I mean, the Vampire Wars are almost a nonstop just mess for a good while of, like, Vlad immediately followed by Conrad, immediately almost followed by Manfred. Uh, Like, Bellicor is just sitting there, waiting, waiting waiting and no one really of interest comes i'm sure there could be some fun stories about some witch hunters that are particularly brave or blessed priests or desperate chaos cultist or some idiot bretonian questing knight (laughs) and such that all go down in there and they all die horribly but uh basically nothing happens for a while until magnus Good old magnus
1: the destruction of more time again
0: yes which is a really interesting thing of magnus one of the things that's really fascinating about magnus um which i'm i'm so excited and also scared for the old world because he's so important to everything that's going to happen and it's going to be really easy for them to fuck it up but really easy. Uh, um magnus is a fairly well unexplored character which is weird considering how critical he is to the modern era um but magnus after everything that goes down at the Battle of the Gates of Kislev. He wins, Asvarkul dies somehow, either whether Magnus killed him or somebody else, who cares, but uh, he wins. And, and as he kind of is doing his victory lap, one of the things that's explored in some other various video games or other novels and such is that, obviously, when a Chaos Horde is defeated, it's usually, virtually always, not because Chaos was fully defeated, but rather the central figurehead dies and, and the army breaks. collapses and just scatters. The problem with that is like if you turn on a light in a really gross kitchen, cockroaches run in every direction. Now they're just everywhere (laughs) instead of in one really bad spot. True fact. So so chaos goes in every fucking direction. And as you may note, uh, Kislev is right above uh, the Empire and Ostomark is right there. Um, In fact, uh, as you can see in some of the old world maps, a fair bit of Ostermark, likely because of how it was weakened by the Mordheim Crisis and the Vampire Wars, a lot of Ostermark actually got eaten up by Kislev for a while. Um, And Kislev expanded its borders dramatically. But um, as these, a lot of these chaos horses fled south and they went into the empire and started causing a mess. And so Magnus, unfortunately, did not get to relax he immediately had to turn around and start running through the yeah he never gets relaxed i'm i'm pretty sure that man died busy <laughs> but, uh, poor bastard he's all that's all he wanted but uh <laughs> um uh he's anyway i'm going to there's a joke i would like to make but i'm going to continue on but uh M- magnus kind of starts going on you could kind of think of it as a victory lap but i'm sure it was a lot more horrific than that because unfortunately these weren't just like little amounts of chaos. These were thousands and thousands of war bands of beastmen, warriors mm-hmm. of chaos, many of whom had genuine champions or sorcerers who were very powerful and were like, you know what? All right, as of our cool loss, but we can still loot, we can still <laughs> have a great time. And their Magnus and his troops are coming across villages or cities that have been burned and looted and raided, and thousands of people are dying. And Magnus is going, Jesus! All right, it's and awful. as he's kind of making this lap to kind of clean up as much of the empire as he can, he eventually turns his attention to Mordheim because Mordheim has been this festering pit of awful. And I think Magnus is probably wise enough at this point, especially maybe with the advice of Techless and everyone else he's got around him, to know that Mordheim is not just like not affecting things, having such a notable pit of corruption is going to cause problems. And furthermore, it gives a gathering point for those forces of chaos because they can sense that corruption there too. And that's probably ultimately what drove him there was that I imagine a lot of the chaos forces maybe because of Bellicor's own influence started to gather to Mordheim, which could have turned almost into a fortress. Yeah, Mordheim is one of those areas that if you can imagine when it was
1: created and it's current form 1999 to the year 2000 on new year's day it is struck by this enormous comet thud and it turns itself turns the entire area into a hellscape and it doesn't get better if anything it gets worse because in the center of this area our uh, dark rituals are being summoned dark magics are being used all manner of awfulness is occurring within the walls and in the surrounding area around Dreadmordheim, Mordheim. It becomes the city of a dam for a reason. And once it had been, once the gold rush, so to speak, of all of this uh, weird stone passes by, it's just this, pit of awfulness that's sitting down there like a festering boil. Now, would they like to have resolved this earlier? Yes, I can imagine when we go back to the halls of Altdorf or Naln or Marienburg or anywhere else, they've got this loose idea of, yes, one day we shall cleanse the place. The cult of Sigmar sitting there going, oh, it has to be properly sanctified and brought back underneath our control and so on and so forth. It was an imperial capital after all. And as we all know, the cult of Sigmar is obsessed with Sigmar's empire and the borders that Sigmar maintained built and drove out towards and this was one of the capitals of the true tribes of Sigmar there is absolutely no way they would be happy for that to be properly lost if it can be reclaimed they'd want to do it but it was the dark ages the start of um that was caused by largely Empress Magrita beforehand but that's thudding comet coming into more time, in many respects, started the Dark Ages. The vampire wars have been going on for centuries. Grom the Paunch had flown through, not mm-hmm. the only orc to do so. Um, it was... 300 years of sheer hell for the Empire and they were also warring with each other throughout the entirety of that time and it's at the end of that time that the old world game, the new one that's coming is about to kick off and they almost certainly will not portray such a hellscape for the Empire because they want to portray the Empire as the good guys because they often <laughs> do which means that they will probably set up with a few factions all of whom are quite good with big moustaches and a slightly different version of who they are Um, but the complexity of the politics will be siphoned down something simpler to make it easier to deal with. yeah but when I, when I... 300 years of this horrible city there, one of the, really? one of the very first things that Magnus <laughs> in a position of power in a position where the entirety of the empire is turning to him and saying, yes, you can lead us. The people will accept no other emperor. The people have moved and all the nobles who want to have their independence are being dragged to his heel. And the very first, one of his very first jobs, is to finally cleanse Mordheim. To finally, finally sort it out. But as is often the case for such an area of horrendous magics, that's a little bit easier said than done.
0: Yeah, and uh, like Andy was saying, one of the things that's interesting to think about is... (laughs) it. I would not have been shocked if there was probably attempts by the Sigmarites, especially with like the Reichland Emperors, to be like, let's send an army to Mordheim and cleanse it. And they tried (laughs) only to get ambushed by the Talabekland Emperor, and a a war breaks out. (laughs) Because they're like, no, that's in our territory. Fuck you guys. We're not letting you do what you want. Um, But but yes, Magnus does eventually show up, and what he does successfully do is Magnus raises Mordheim to the ground. Yeah, um, he just he flattens the whole one. fucking city. Um and it's not that easy. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's not. It's it's <laughs> like yeah unfortunately he could not just carpet bomb it from existence uh. i mean he, he did the warhammer equivalent of carpet
1: bombing it from existence yeah. he really tried um and all sorts of magics were thrust into that place but sadly there was one thing sitting at the center of it which made it effectively impossible to properly destroy in the same way that one of our alternative um topics for this week to discuss drachenfels is not so easy to stop and that Bellacor, the Dark Master, not so easy to stop. Indeed, the amount of magics that had gone on there had already fractured reality, to agree, within more time. And the destruction of it fractures it completely and time itself shyish begins to shatter causing all manner of shyish issues in the area and it's in those fragments of time almost like alternate histories as in hey the computer game can sit alongside um the novels can sit <laughs> alongside the standard more game can sit alongside everything else fragments into different almost pocket realms of existence where bellacore continues
0: yeah so uh despite their best efforts and just, just to put it clear of how bad the situation was in Mordheim, this is likely not only like Magnus the Pious with the full blessings of Sigmar, and he's got the full backing now of all the elector counts, of all the provinces, of all the cults, and he's got Volans and Teclis with him. They still can't do it yeah. because it's that bad. They've done their best shot. Yeah. Now, granted... From, from all accounts it is a lot better than it was you know it is they do get rid of you know pretty much all the buildings they do level it as best they can so that armies can't gather there and monsters can't hide there easily but no one is able to basically dislodge Bellicor, who they can't really see like at this point yeah. he's just shadowy essence ness um yeah. but uh which uh which f- the one of the actually really interesting things is we <laughs> 88, 88. I love <laughs> it. Oh god, you're the brilliant. now. you're brilliant. <laughs> uh Manages, thank you so much for the super chat. I really appreciate it. Much beloved and anticipated planning using modified war cry, chaos legionnaires as Teleian Chaos Warriors for the Old World. Oh, that's fun. What unique ways may chaos manifest in Telea as compared to the Empire or Cathay? Uh, so I will start. Of that first of all, that's a fucking brilliant idea. Uh Warcry minis for anyone out there that is ever wanted to use kit bashing or like Warhammer Fantasy stuff, Warcry is perfect. Yeah, okay. Um, like literally any of the war bands you could use in Warhammer Fantasy super easily. Um, second of all, um, Talea, the big things about them that are very unique as far as like how chaos would manifest is that a uh Talaya has a very strong focus on mercenaries as just like a lifestyle which means that you have a lot of people using very unconventional and unique forms of warfare to try. And a lot of people, a lot of the Talayan mercenaries try to style themselves because it makes you more advertiserable, essentially. Uh, so specializing in a unique form of warfare or a unique form of armor or a unique form of weapons. Um, the other thing is that Talia has some very unique gods who, if those followers were to fall to chaos, could have some very unique effects, such as Sulcanites um sulcon is uh is a he's a solar god uh he's a god of the sun but he's also a god of order but like the scary kind of order that is ruthless and has no sense of mercy and it's like if you think a sigmarite witch hunter is bad no 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 no. sulcon is so much worse and so if you had a band of sulconites who fell to chaos they would be immensely cruel individuals who would probably specialize very heavily in forms of, if I was making them, Um, Sulcanites are very infamous for torture as a way to get confessions and a way to get people to admit to things that they maybe wouldn't otherwise. Um, And I would probably imagine a group of Sulcanites who fell to chaos being people that see all of the world as tainted and they're the only good guys, even though they fall into chaos, and they exult in punishing the rest of the world for not being pure. And so they use, like, a lot of weapons and arms that uh, don't result in direct death, but instead cripple or cause pain without causing immediate death. Uh, If you're wanting, like, a particular style, which I think the Legionnaires would slot well into that. Uh, But also, like, lean really heavily on Roman influences, Italian influences, because that's what is all about. Um, I don't know if Andy's got any further Mm -hmm. ideas to add. Yeah,
1: I'll do a few more general points. Um, Loosely speaking, um, the obvious source for anything that you're going to draw upon will be Italy and the various city-states of Italy and the how they would reflect into the city-states of Tilia. Um, Remember a few key things about um, your Tilians. Um, They don't have a strong colleges of magic, so if you're going to build something new and exciting, consider what they might have instead. Um, That's always a fun aspect. Consider the Roman influence and the classical influence, but also, to a degree, the Greek influence from across the mountains and how that would influence uh, the overall setting. But I would generally say... Religion should be at the core of whatever you build because religion is very much at the core of many of the stereotypes that come out of Italy. So it's worth plumbing into those. The ideas of the gladiators, um, which are very much a part and parcel of Tilian lifestyle. They have their big gladiatorial rings, um, mm-hmm. which um, in turn came from originally the ogres and their fighting pits. Um, that was an import. Um, so having ogres in there as well is worthwhile. So if you're building your own uh, war bands or similar, make sure that you've got ogres included in that because they're part of the Tilian society. It's a well-established part of um, what they work with. So religion... Gunpowder, get that in there because that's always fun. So get some equivalent of that in there. Um, Your Roman uh, aspects, get some of that in there too. Plus those warring city-states and the greed that lies behind much of that. And the fact that merchants have risen to the point that they have often out Classed or moved above the actual nobility that's in the area. So, having some sort of mercantile aspect to it is definitely worth doing. And then you can then look at why each one of these pillars is going to be potentially corrupted and changed by chaos and what it then becomes.
0: Thank you very much for that. Yeah, Uh, thank you, Rock. So, uh, this this is actually. Uh, this is actually a question I have for Andy, because I'm not sure about the answer for this, which is sure. I have never found easily a source that talks about what exactly happened to Mordheim and kind of the aftermaths of the setting. But before Magnus gets there, as far as okay, like, so- where did the Sisters of Sigmar go? How did the room yeah, come so- out?
1: I picked up the Sisters of Sidmer and dropped in um, a part of them as the Sisters of Faith and Charity over into uh, the Tome of Salvation. um, Mm. So they were like a sister order that came later. But there's a reason it's never been picked up. It's because no one's really ever picked it up. Mordheim uh, exists in this strange limbo. And let me explain this. Mordheim is not Warhammer. Now, that might sound (laughs) inherently stupid because it is. But More Time is a separate license to Warhammer, so that means if you want to develop More Time, you have to get a license for that as a licensee to go do it. And we're not talking about Games Workshop Studio, someone that's trying to make it into a computer game or a board game or a role-playing game. So all of the More Time material for Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay is a separate license to the Warhammer license, which means More Time only gets referenced; it doesn't get used or developed inside the role-play game very much. Interesting. Okay, so Mordheim doesn't get the same level of development in terms of its overall impact as, say, for example, the Warhammer world as a whole, because it is a separate license. Now, can you reference it? Yes, but could I set a campaign there if I was writing Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay? No. I could not. I would need to buy the actual license for more time. So there's a reason that there is a dearth of material, mm. because the licensees have not been in a position where they can develop it unless they do more time. And if you're doing a more time license, you're going to be doing it in 1999 when the comment hex. That's fucking awesome! Because that's a really cool bit, so mm. you don't need to worry about what comes next. Now, could someone pick it up and do that? Yes, there could be a Black Library novel, there could be all that, but Warhammer died. And and at its peak point of development, where we're looking at, say, 2010 area, when all the stories of Mordheim, 10 years worth of development, have been put in place, and everyone's going, what happens next? They're like, well, that's a good idea. Let's sit down, figure it all out. Oh, holy shit, no, we're going to end the Warhammer world. So now the stories they tell aren't about what came next after Mordheim. They're the stories of how does this influence the end times? So thus we get ourselves a book, a novel, which explains how the shattered remnants of Mordheim and Bellicor that's trapped within it, um, and how that uh, entire city being trapped back in the time when Magnus had destroyed it back in 23034, whenever it was, um, back then, and Gortec and Felix arrive in, as they want to do, they kick ass, they chew gum, they attempt to stop um, Belichor's big ritual to reaffirm himself back into reality, but in doing so... Bellacor gets free and can do whatever the fuck he wants because it, time itself is broken around him and goes back in time and is in fact free at the same time as being constrained. There's a really nice, that whole book, the whole thing it sets up is really fun, but it's more Bellacor story than it is more times because more time by this point is just a shattered remnant. It's not really the big city of the dam that it once was, but it does make for a really good setting for the novel. Do recommend going have a little look at that.
0: Great job there by David Geimer.
1: He did a really good job with go Really good job there. Um, But loosely speaking, there's not really a great amount of information post the, indeed, even leading up to Magnus and the post-Magnus, because that entire section of the story, it's almost in a gray area in terms of where it's going to be developed, because at the key point when it almost certainly would have been developed, there was no one there to develop it because the game itself was ending. So I'm really interested to see what happens when the old world comes out because the old world is going to have this as one of the key Magnus stories. Now, we're going to have to build up to the great war against chaos, and that might be the entirety of the old world. But if the old world is a success, it's going to have spun-off stories. And one of the big questions is going to be, what the hell did Magnus do to Mordheim? What actually happened there? How did it Mm -hmm. occur? And how did Mordheim become the shattered remnant that will then become the primary point of the story that is later later told by David Geimer? So, yeah, you're you're spot on. There's not a lot written about it at all, other than like a snippet here. I mean, when I was writing the um, sections for the timeline for the Empire, I almost drilled in deep to Mordheim. I had a quick chat with Games Workshop about it, actually. And the reply was, yeah, Mordheim's a separate license. Don't worry about it. And I was like, well,
0: but I don't right, worry about
1: it. <laughs> I mean, I want to. I'd really like to at least just add a sentence or four. And they were like, yeah, don't worry about it, unless it's particularly pertaining to the story you're telling just just mention that more time exists and don't worry about it from that point onwards. And I was like, fair enough, I won't. And I didn't concentrate there. Having said that though, and I think I said this in a previous uh, stream, I was going to be setting a story in more time. One of the campaign ideas that um, we had before I landed on the one that I did with Gav um, was going to be a three timeline, a, a, a story told at three points. One um, at the end times, one when the comet lands and one right in between when um, the Dark Master has completely failed and is trapped and is lost in there with no body, with the bones of the ever-chosen in place, and each one of the events are fractured in time because of what's happened there, and they're influencing each other. So you're playing the same story across three separate timelines. it will be a fun campaign um and yeah (laughs) uh, and it would have plumbed into a lot of what happened into more time and when i was sitting down in games workshop i was like um can i do this they're like yeah of course you can if you get yourself a more time license and i was like right good to know
0: (laughs) i won't be doing that yeah. (laughs) (laughs) uh, (laughs) yeah. damn it Uh, so i only had the warhammer fantasy Roleplay license at that point obviously so if you're out there and want to do a fun homebrew campaign one of the really fun questions to ask is what happens to bellicor in the aftermath of the mordheim crisis of okay he's possessed carden's body but who kills him does he just starve to death or did some hero manage to fight their way to him and bring him down um
1: it's sort of that's sort of loosely told through the course of the campaigns from mordheim afterwards where the ever chosen himself pretty much kicked him out um Mm. and died Um, So it's sort of already half-told, but you could certainly retail that any way you want because one of the joys of the Mordheim game was that it gave you this setting, this entire all-end-of-the-world setting. The end is nigh. Everyone's carrying their banners. Everyone's pestilent. Everyone's decayed. Just look at that black and white, stark, horrific, bosch esque art sitting all the way through. It's terrible times. And it is quite literally the setting that they say the end of the world can come they give you the opportunity to tell your own tales and the tale that they told in the studio is just one version of what could be told and to a degree they interlace that with how more time eventually ends where time itself has its own little fractured pocket so yeah go wild with it tell your Hmm. own stories it's super super fun um and the very nature of bellicor means you can tell almost anything and it's not too silly
0: yeah (laughs) yeah um (laughs) So card. to wrap up the Magnus plot of that, Magnus, he successfully destroys the city um, and pretty much anything that wasn't Bellicor in it. Uh, it's raised all of the monsters and chased out. The beastmen are chased out or killed. And it's just kind of a ruin. And they look at it and go, well, that's as good as it's going to get. <laughs> yeah. And they go home. Um, and they, I mean, unfortunately, they were right. That was as good as it was going to get until very, very late in the timeline, to almost 200 years later when Gotrek and Felix show up. And being Go, Trek and Felix, they do their wonderful thing of <laughs> doing a good thing that kind of is a bad thing <laughs> by smacking pigs with an axe. <laughs> um, but uh, as far as... Uh, one of the questions that I actually have for Andy about uh, Mordheim uh, involving the Sisters of Sigmar is that yes. one of the things I found very interesting through multiple editions, multiple games even uh because the warhammer online age reckoning game actually touched on this in its novels that it released was the idea that um in some editions there's a really strong idea put forward that sigmar uh the the cult of sigmar is very patriarchal and yeah. that they do not allow women warrior priests they don't allow mm-hmm. women to be anything but like functionally nuns like servants And they, their reasoning, the reasoning that's provided in those books is that after the Mordheim crisis and the meteor struck the city, the Grand Theologist went, ah, see, this is a sign from Sigmar that women are bad and women shouldn't be allowed to be part of the cult. This is what happens when we allow women to uh, be a part of what Sigmar is doing. He clearly doesn't want this. And they get like banned for hundreds of years until those books provide something happens but i have seen that in other editions it doesn't say that and it's like yeah yeah, no that's totally fine fine. women can absolutely be blessed priests
1: there's um a fairly long convoluted uh discussion to be had here that i'm going to summarize with a discussion that we had during the second edition of warma fantasy Roleplay, um and i was in charge of writing all the sigmar sections in the Tome of salvation um in that um and i included uh female order in that um, on purpose because there was an ongoing prevalent belief that the cult of Sigmar couldn't have any women involved in it at all and the prevalent belief at that point was much much more sexist than the one that was being suggested there by Sotek um, which was there was no sisters and more time was wrong Um, Which was a fascinating argument to take, I thought, Um, (laughs) given that Mordheim by that point was some five years old and was an established part of the setting. Um, But they were like, no, no, Sigmar is most definitely a patriarchal cult. Um, I contradicted this heavily and for not necessarily the reasons that many people would have immediately thought. My first one was it's not the freaking Catholic Church, which is what many people had tried to portray it as. And indeed, many of the arguments that were happening publicly amongst the fan base were it can't have female members because the Catholic priests don't have female members. So thus we shouldn't. And it's like, what, what, what? It's the Cult of Sigmar. It's not the, what? That made no sense to me. And indeed, in many respects, Warhammer should be distancing itself from trying to look like that the Cult of Sigmar is just the Catholic Church, but in a different way. Sure, they're drawing inspirations for a certain part, but inspirations only. Um, That offended me. Um, uh, to, to my core so I very much went, no look it's not the Catholic Church and this is one way of showing how, particularly because the Warhammer world bizarrely and somewhat unexpectedly is much less sexist in many ways than the real world is or indeed has been because of the very nature of its gods being real, because of the very nature of how society it uses it's got so many different versions of um societal and cultural uh. That say, leanings in different directions that some parts, yes, are super sexist, but some parts are super sexist in a very different way and often in the opposite way. Each of the different tribes have got their own traditions in the Cult of Sigmar. Not the Cult of Sigmar, pardon me, in the Empire. And each Mm. of those tribes, some of them were female-led right from the very beginning. Um, So there's just a different framework. And I had a big, long chat behind the scenes saying it should be definitely open to both genders and this is why Um, and then we had a big discussion about what genders was and i said to all genders because that is the nature of those discussions at that point um and i mean it should be open and this is why and everybody after a long discussion Agreed, particularly because the sisters of Sigmar that were sitting down in Mordheim existed, but we also had other examples. Adrian Smith at that point had done a really good um, image of a sister of Sigmar who had nothing to do with the Mordheim version, um, who was just a warrior priestess of Sigmar, and they had popped up in the card game as well. Warrior priests that were female. The war game popped up, and there was female everything in that. There was equal chance mm-hmm. because it was, they were they were offering that up to the world, and if you want to play a female character, enough power for you. Um, um, so that was all interlaced within it. And we wrote it as a cult that had patriarchal elements. But if you wanted to see a proper patriarchal cult, look at the cult of Ulric. They were not that. They were different. And it was also another way to show how the cult of Ulric and the cult of Sigmar were different. The cult of Ulric, which is in many respects much more progressive in this area, was much less progressive and somewhat recidivist in terms of its tone. So loosely... Um, in the Warhammer world as it currently stands, um, there are female and otherwise priests, clerics shall we say, of Sigmar across the board, almost from the beginning. Um, And that's just the way it is. There is no limitations um, depending upon your sex or gender, however you wish to express these things. They just don't exist. But there are a significant number of men within that cult. But there's entire orders of nuns, of Uh, warrior priestesses and similar, and there have been for a very long time. And Mordheim's uh, component and addition to that is considered to be one of the most important ones of that era. It was politically extraordinary, because it drew people from across the known uh, empire as a whole. The big Uh, pardon me, it didn't just draw people, it drew nobles from across the empire as a whole. So it had nobles from every corner of the empire with their daughters there. It was considered to be a great thing to go there, plus it was also where one of the primary seers of Sigmar was sighted as it became Cassandra later, Um, and she was gifted with insight of the future by Sigmar and protected from that comet coming down by Sigmar, anyone that was actually blessed by Sigmar would realize that the site that they had was blessed, it was definitely on Sigmar's side. So, whilst there was a strong element, particularly from the Grand Theogenist of the time, who pitched himself against the what was effectively uh, almost an electro count of Sigmar building on the other side, mm. that the, the Grand Theogenist of that era was trying to create a theocracy, he wanted to be emperor. To make that clear, the Mortheim story is the Grand theogenist of that era wanted to be emperor. He wanted to yeah. ditch the whole concept of Sigmar's heirs and just say, no, the cult of Sigmar leads, which would have turned it into a theocracy. That was his plan. And the Sisters of Sigmar were against that. Now, where are the Sisters of Sigmar come the modern day? Who can say because more time is a separate license yeah so they never really got the detail
0: so what i what i want to say is that for anyone that hasn't if you want to just see a really fascinating author that was trying to rectify those two different views by games workshop uh empire and ruins by anthony reynolds um is the book where he really tackles it Of because one of the characters in it is a woman who becomes a warrior priest because the game warhammer online age of reckoning they really wanted to have female warrior priests but the the lord the lord at that time was running with kind of the idea of oh it's supposed to be male only so he does a really good job of exploring it and bringing up more time specifically of of exploring that it's not that there aren't blessed women of sigmar that there are figures within the cult who view that as a political rivalry Yes. and don't want it and it's fascinating as her powers awaken and she becomes a full-on warrior priest he does a great job exploring that highly recommend it for anyone that wants to find it um probably a hard book to find these days yeah it's too uh, easy to find um i've got it over there um yeah. ha ha ha. Uh, as the, well
1: uh, as the, the the cool orc model that you got yeah. with the special edition of that uh, game
0: and, uh grumlock yeah. and gas bag awesome, just up there awesome. Just he, he's awesome um I Was going to say
1: something else. I was going to say, oh, yes, um, and um, Anthony Reynolds, in fact, will be popping on inside the rookery, um, in the next oh, so many weeks. Oh, we don't have the exact pin down oh, now, he doesn't do that many interviews because he currently works for Riot Games, I think. Um, and he sacks permission for each of his interviews, but um, fortunately, he has de- decided to uh join us. So, do make sure you go and subscribe over no. to the uh, rookery publications page over on YouTube if you'd like to watch that when we pop up the advert for when that goes live. <laughs> um, because that's going to be a lot fun uh, th- th-
0: thank you hammond <laughs> Sulcan, oh, yeah. Nuts, oh, oh, there. <laughs> yeah there you go that, there's there's your call sign if you're gonna be a Sulcanite. Or um, alternatively, if you're yelling at the Sulcanites.
1: <laughs> yeah, on, on Sulcan, just as a small thing, Sulcan has a really fun cult in general, um, and if you're looking for the Empire equivalent, as I've said in a previous stream, you've got the cult of Sul, S-O-U-L-L. Um, The river Sul can be found in Visenland, um, and their cult, the cult of Sul, is effectively the cult of Sulcan, it's just the Empire equivalent of it. Em- the Sulcan, um cult is largely a Tilian thing nowadays.
0: All right, Uh, Andy, unless you've got anything else you want to hit on with Mordheim, would you like to start, or uh, are you good to start answering questions? Yeah, I'm I'm pretty good. Um,
1: uh, I'll just say that um, Mordheim, just as a nice summary, is often perceived as just a game. And it is looked at as just that. But for those of us who are interested in the lore that it has brought to the game, it is much more because it brings some incredibly important events into the light that had previously not been the case. Number one, it confirms that in 1999 and probably for the next five to 10 years after that, it is incursion of chaos time. It's not just a a bad city that's surrounded by bad stuff. It's proper gates are waxing end of the world times have arrived and the ever chosen is happening now, going through all the steps to become ever-chosen, and Bellacor is attempting to make, take control of that. It is an enormous story, not for more time, but the Warhammer world as a whole. If you're looking for what's happening in the rest of the world, this is when the Chaos Hordes are now attacking. Mm -hmm. They're doing things elsewhere. And that is something that we should try to keep in mind. It grounds it into the entire timeline of the Warhammer world as not just a key event, but a key city because Bellicor drags everything around the world to him and attempts to end the world according to its own designs and its own desires there then and fails i don't see this as a great failure oh my god bellachor again um it's it's an almost impossible feat he's looking to end the freaking world to become a chaos god and he gets close i mean that's pretty (laughs) impressive in and of its freaking self more time is that tale it's the tale of Bellicor, and i think Bellicor obviously will make quite an interesting other stream um but if you're looking for a single city that represents um, some of the greatest tales that Warhammer often tells, it's this one. Mortheim is the centre of what becomes the big Warhammer story, i.e. Chaos is looking to end the world. And this was one Chaos God's attempt to do that. In this particular case, Belakor. And I know I'm using the word Chaos God arguably a bit loosely here, but given that he was created to be uh, an effective replacement of Malal, it's not so loose.
0: Yeah, well quite I, like it, it's stuff. such a core component of literally all of his big schemes is becoming yeah. becoming a full god. And yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. with the implication cool. that if he does, he would whoop the shit out of the other four, which is terrifying. Um, but uh yep, yeah, agree with all that. Also, uh, like fascinatingly, from an in-universe perspective and a our actual world perspective, if you're ever wanting to look at the evolution of Warhammer Fantasy. And how it changed mm. over the course of editions, yeah. and also just what happened within the universe itself. More time really kind of is the most important city there is in the setting, which yeah, is the fulcrum point um, for the entire Warhammer game. Because before, before More
1: Time. Um, Warhammer had been moving in a more cartoony direction as 4th edition, um, which was still trying to find itself, had basically recreated Warhammer into a box set, turned to 5th edition, which became a little bit more cartoony. I can remember the White Dwarfs at the time with all the little cartoons of the Tony and Knights chasing little cartoony um, nurglings or little cartoony <laughs> Skaven. and it moved into a far more kid-friendly front and then Mordheim came slapping in this dark, gothic, awesome game um, where the end of the world was nigh. It was bleak as fuck. All the artwork was stark black and white. All of, the, uh, all of the creatures were broken, twisted, boils and warts because it's the end of the world. It's truly different. And then Warhammer after that, in turn, was different, the art styles changed entirely. Black and white pieces were all over the place, but in a slightly all with a consistent, darker tone. Sixth,
0: sixth edition was a very consistent, edition, probably the most consistent artistically. And it's dark yeah, yeah, as yeah. Sixth and, and Sixth edition
1: dark. nailed a tone that would run right through to eighth edition of Warhammer. Eighth edition started, uh, becoming more. Well, let's be honest. It started becoming more Age of Sigmar, um, hmm. in that they started adding lots of bigger elements, large focus piece miniatures, um, that um, instead of lots of troops. Yeah, it um, was the addition and- of monsters. It was the addition of monsters and cool big shit um, and that in many respects made it a touch more cartoony because of that. It was bigger and you know more over the top, but it was still grounded heavily in the ethos that Mordheim had put into place. Mordheim is more than just a city. Mordheim is what Warhammer was going to become and it influenced it deeply and we are, I think, in many respects, um, we have that because of Thomas um Thomas Prinnan's uh, entire direction for that and I think the art direction on it um, is actually extraordinary. The art direction deserves to be popped out um, for called out for just how awesome oh, yeah. it is. John Blanche, John Blanche deserves a freaking medal for that game alone.
0: Uh, I'll, I will always say, sixth edition is when the Lizardmen went from "I did not like them" to "I fucking love them." That is when modern <laughs> <laughs> Lizardmen came out. Oh, um, teeny wee- uh, yeah, <laughs> laughing, God. Uh, the real questions Are asking more time? Were they fish people? You joke, you joke, but they're fucking were. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're absolutely fish. The answer people. is Mordheim. yes.
1: Um, the answer is yes um yeah. there's an entire cult based around people who wore large fish masks as well um more is the center of much more than you realize
0: yeah more uh is also like on a big river and there's a whole thing about the things in the river the things in the lake uh there's a whole spiel about that <laughs> uh but anyway fucking love fishmen anyway so uh <laughs> questions all right so um uh let's see here we go uh okay so here it is here's the first one
1: um i have one question that was posted over on my side which i'm going to um, field very quickly oh, yeah, yeah, go it's ahead. Super simple. and that was what was mordheim like before which i think is a an interesting one that and also an interesting question. how the hell did mordheim get access to any trade given the enormous waterfalls that stand between it and the river reich so I think there are two fascinating questions. Um, the first one is sadly, I think, ultimately going to be a bit boring because Mordheim as a setting was created to spec in 1999, um, and it didn't mm-hmm. need to have a previous history. So what was it before? It's pretty much what every Warhammer city was before: an evolving, building, developing capital. In this case, um, almost certainly the centre of, uh, the tribe that used to make their existence there that there were three main cities and they go across the entire area so loosely it's just another imperial city that reached the point of being large and decadent
0: yeah i, w- I would say based on kind of what we were talking about earlier if you were wanting to kind of theorize about it because there's literally nothing on it but if you mm. wanted to theorize about it i think a real strength would be trying to explore a its focus as a breadbasket and being in a very unique position where it because it was close to sylvania it might have benefited very strongly from the presence of Van Hal during the the Black Plague Wars, and so, so it was spared a lot of the Skaven issues that a lot of the, crushed a lot mm-hmm. of the Empire for so many centuries.
1: Yeah, I'd also add that it's right next door to Sylvania. In fact, it's not just next door to Sylvania; it pretty much is in Sylvania mm. almost. Um, and that, I think, speaks to Sylvanian history. Now, the Sylvanian history, depending on which version you use, they had their own tribe of humans in the area, the Fenones. Um, and that's one of those little known facts that kick around in the background. It originally came from Farmer Fancy Roleplay 1 fanbase, I think, originally, um, the Fenones. And they're, it's mentioned in a couple of the hills. The, F- the Fenon Hills are down there as well. Um, and that's a separate tribe of humanity that's in the area, and they would have almost certainly been subsumed by both the Burgundians that are coming over from one side, them coming in from the uh, north as well. Um, and uh, that suggests that Sylvania was a contested area throughout. I supported that on one of the maps for Sylvania, saying that parts of it were contested. Sylvania has been its own province for some time. So you'll probably find that Ostermark warred with Frequently warred with Stirling um, over this particular area, which means that um, More time may not originally have been on the southern border. It may have been, most of uh, Sylvania may. of Ostermark. Is that covered anywhere? No, not really, but it is naturally going to be the case if the capital is there. The capital is going to extend a reach of at least 20 to 30 miles down into what is the Verhungen, the Hungerwood, and all the rest of it. Pretty freaking awful there, but it wouldn't always have been like that. The maps that we have for today is not the maps that they would have had a thousand years ago. So do consider, if you're looking for developing what it builds up towards being later, that this is a centre of imperial politics. Now, it might be a one on the edge, but it's still a centre. And that means that Sylvania almost certainly is considered theirs up until the city is destroyed. They probably considered Sylvania to be theirs. And good old Karsteins to the south may have been allies, may have been strong mm. allies, may even have considered themselves um, to be a part of Ostermark rather than a part of Stirling, as we generally consider Sylvania. So Try to think of the politics that lead up to it, and don't just do that by looking at the city. Look at the things around it.
0: Yeah, I'd also say keep in mind Vlad is right there, and Vlad was a political genius in a lot of ways when it came to I... imperial. Uh, when it came to imperial politics, he would have been very invested in Mordheim being like a strong economic center because his goal wasn't to destroy the empire; it was to take over the to empire. He wanted it to survive. Yeah. Um. um I, one thing
1: to remember about Vlad is that his downfall was almost certainly Isabella um uh and arguably her desires and her wants and her needs i remember discussing with steve savile um he was the author of the vampire books and theirs and i i I took issue with many of the choices that are made but regardless i still took a lot of a lot of our discussions about it were fun um and he always thought of um uh uh, Vlad as almost the genius uh, Heathcliff of the whole piece and he's very romantic figure um, <laughs> sitting up there doing his things <laughs> Vlad is just awesome um, and I sort of half agree, Vlad is a figure who almost certainly is a figure of stability, not anarchy. And the vampire wars that came could arguably lead um, Isabella and her desperate desire for more control and expansion, which arguably could have come from the gash because she was much more weak willed because she was younger mm. than um, Vashinesh. I mean, Vlad, um, because <laughs> Vlad is ancient and extremely strong willed. So the best way to influence him is with someone else, not by trying to directly control him
0: yeah uh there's an unexplored story we'll about hey, well, Sam, eventually we will eventually we'll hit on vlad uh, sam i'm really curious gotcha. about Belicor. Belicor has a whole army of demons and greater demons he apparently has yes. i've never heard of this before so i will say there's a reason for the total war community i have been banging my drum of war so loudly that bellicor should be a demons of chaos faction not a warriors of chaos faction agreed because bellicor has legions of demons like he I'm, is the yeah. greatest demon general there is period i'm
1: trapped there since the beginning of time pretty much from when the cataclysm came because he is almost a god Um, and it's, it's really easy to forget that because of some of the later stories that were written for him but the original parts in the war scroll that was written for him and all the rest it makes it quite clear that at the beginning he had this giant thing and he is attempting to tap into it during the storm of chaos they had a slightly different version of bellachor um where Bellicor was completely freed from the influence of chaos and in the storm of chaos version mm-hmm. all the demons come all with they- him because he is yeah because they're his demons um and they're demons to him they're not demons to corn. They're not demons. he is a god of undivided chaos. So they are demons that are very much Belakor's demons. Um and if you want to know what they might look like, there was a whole bunch of concept art made ages ago and I do mean a long time ago by Tony <laughs> Ackland, who did all of the original versions of the demons that we know today, um, because he did the concept arts for the realms of chaos books back in like 1990 or 89 or 87 or whatever it was. I forget the name, the year. Um, but he also did um, the demons of Malal for that. And some people have even made models for what they might look at um, and, you know, scraped off the, scraped <laughs> off the, uh, the barcodes there and, yeah. you know, Chop off head and say definitely not Malal, but this yeah. random thing is pretty much a Greater Demon of Malal, and that's the sort of craziness you've would seen now. Obviously, if Games Workshop would run with that, it would change over time. Take a look at the original Greater Demons and Lesser Demon models that were made for the, uh, say, the third edition of Warhammer. Compare that with the ones that we have today. They're they're reminiscent, but they're most certainly developed, and that would have occurred as well. But Bellicor, there's a reason why he's one of the biggest fucking models in Age of Sigmar. It's because he'd have a whole bunch of Greater Demons
0: under him yeah and this is actually reinforced and explored in age of sigmar where granted they bellicor is so fucking powerful he steals demons from the other gods like in the story there's a full exploration during the broken realm storyline where there is a bloodthirster and a keeper of secrets who are branded with the mark of bellicor because they belong to him he figures out their true names and is like nope you're mine like, he leads legions of demons. There's also a whole thing where Bellicor really fucking looks down on mortals and considers them ants to him. He's much more interested in dealing with demons. Uh, but he's like, I mean, you have to remember, he's the first mortal entity that ascended to demonhood. He knows more secrets about demons than anybody that will ever live. Ever.
1: And arguably, um, before we move to Kabanda and why? <laughs> um, <laughs> before we move to that, arguably, he predates the Chaos Gods and their creation. Um, and I do say that arguably because depending upon which version of the lore and exactly how you deem the Chaos Gods to exist there are different ways that that could be put into place but Cabanda's there I think is um, an interesting question and I would argue before we move into uh, it's worth reading out, why are there only or why are there only Nurglish Carnivals of Chaos what? Why wouldn't the pitiful slanesh or even Zinchins have similar groups? Um, the answer is probably yeah, maybe, but the problem with Slanesh as a whole is that they tend to get a little bit fixated in what they're doing on the day. They wouldn't move on and there's corruption going on. They go they go to excess, and that's one of the issues with Slanesh. They work far better in a fixed location, taking people far beyond worded. They don't move on where zinch i would argue does but gets obsessed with the detail um and Mm. the initial failings of the gods themselves make it harder for them to do anything other than a one-off here or there the whole concept of the
0: carnival of chaos fits nurgle
1: surprisingly
0: well yeah and and more likely if you were dealing with a non-nurgle carnival it would probably be an undivided Carnival, which may have individuals from the different uh pantheons like you might have like yeah. a slaneshi who travels with them and is obsessed with a very particular thing but they sort of drag them around um and they're obsessed with like putting on performances or whatever or there's a zinchian sorcerer who hangs out with them and is using them for his own schemes or they've got cornate you know some kind of cornate strongman who's all about trying to lure people to the carnival that he then fights and tries to kill, or he fights whatever exotic creatures are in whatever place they're going to. But they would be more like individuals, not entire groups. Yep, totally. And Roderick, thank you very much. Quickly, probably going to say, it seems totally up my
1: stir, and my stir also. Can't (laughs) wait to catch it all afterwards. Um, On that, we didn't answer the question regarding the stir and how could they do trade up it. Now, for those of you that don't know, the confluence of the River Reich and the stir Um, is a giant cliff where a waterfall once stood. There is no easy way to go up there. In modern Warhammer, so we're talking 25, I say modern, we need a better term for 25, like, 12 to 25, 20. Um, the so, end re- times. Reign of France. I mean, Reign it's the end times. Come the end times, okay? The last end times, whatever the hell you want to well, say. The end times just um,
0: means any time terms. <laughs> yeah, <many>. Oh, crap!
1: <laughs> 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 too many terms. We'll come up with a term later, but come 25, 10 Um, that part of the River Stir has been filled with locks, um, meaning that you can get down what used to be a giant waterfall. And if we go back upriver, a further like 50, 100 miles, whatever it is, there's a further giant waterfall, which is cut off by another set of locks, so you can make your way down. That was not the case in Mordheim's era, which means that Mordheim almost certainly didn't have river traffic coming from the right. Now, it had river traffic going along the stir. But the Styr, as you'll know for anyone who knows the maps, does not have many cities sitting on the confluence of the Styr and the Reich, and definitely none leading upstream, largely because there was no way to easily get to those areas back then. So they never mm. had that city founded and then built over the centuries. Um, indeed, that area is kind of almost a wilderness of trees and then the barn hills. Um, however... There are going to be trade with, say, Waldenhof. Waldenhof was long the capital and later becomes again the capital of Sylvania, mm-hmm. and then trade up into the Middle Mountains. You've got to realize that the empire is actually, pardon my French fucking huge um, <laughs> and just because you can't access that trade route doesn't mean that you're not on other waterway trade routes that lead into the south of Talabic land, the north over into Wirtbad, um, leading over up into the mountains, so the Wartbad connection is by itself enormously influential. Yeah, a lot of just dwarves because, there too yeah, yeah, loads of dwarves up in the mountains that you're going to be trading down through, so there is a lot of trade in the area up into Kislev as well, and a lot of river trade, but up to this point, I would argue argue that the river trade to the right doesn't exist and anyone that makes it exist either hasn't considered what's there or is just making shit up
0: yeah yeah not everything remember not everything has to re- re- revolve around reichland <laughs> it's yeah, a totally. tiny part of the empire 100 <laughs> agreed and I've, I've seen several attempts by people
1: to try and make the stir and the reich navigable so you can go up from one and down to the other um and i generally think that that's fun and there's lots of things that people would have tried to do and I think that there's going to be engineering works and then uh, things that failed bits that have collapsed but there's giant waterfalls let the giant waterfalls be giant waterfalls make one of them um super important to Tal for example or a local river god actually make it difficult for them to get around because that's more fun having everything uh, easy going from A to B is I think diminishing some of the enormity of the setting
0: uh all right. Uh okay. So I do see a couple of random questions in the chat that I think are worth just kind of pulling up. Uh random, do you guys own any Mordheim models? Um, I don't own any of the original for the setting of Mordheim focused minis, but I did play Mordheim using my Lizardman mini, so yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm sure Andy <laughs> has an unholy amount uh and uh, i just like this comment so i'm just magnifying it for a second (laughs) third way to heaven third way to heaven uh all right so uh first question of being uh oh oh yeah this is actually an interesting question that i think this okay this ties specifically into total war um which is that in total war they introduce the the whole thing of like the world roots where the, the the oak of ages has its world roots that pop up in certain forests. What yep, yep, else to travel in total war? They introduce that the griffin wood, which is right next to Mordheim, yeah, uh, just up, has
1: sort the, of next to it. Well, it's the, quite it, north, it, of it. north of it. <laughs>
0: north of it, yes, it it is north of it, but it's in that general ballpark. Um, in total war, they put it where it has one of the roots because that's where Dreicha starts for just to give her an interesting start position. Um, mm-hmm. And so the question here would be: Would the living world root have? been affected by the comet that struck Mordheim? would it have been close enough uh for that to have been impacted
1: so i'm going to say two things um first if you go by Mordheim lore there's actually wood elves in the forest not too far away from Mordheim anyway mm-hmm. um which i find super fascinating particularly because i'm uh, a great fan of obscure bits of lore they mention wood elves in the great forest and they mention a significant number of wood elves in the in the Drakwald of all places, um, which is something that is generally not considered to be the case um, in later editions, or indeed earlier editions, they added more Wood Elves, and they said that they were native to the Empire. They were not external, so they're not Azrai um, from Athaloran, and oh, they're, so they're also they're, they're kind of more like the Eunir then. And they're also not Aeonier. Um, yeah. They're a different group. And that was something that I was intending on developing um, when I was doing the extra Wood Elfie bookie bits that I had planned when I was running the game. Um, and I almost certainly would have plumbed down in that a few small isolated communities. That's that's not, that would have been fascinating. And would I have connected that to the world route? And the answer is yes, because yes. Yeah, what else, yeah. they're, they're, <laughs> it's no, it, no, it's elves, yo. Um, yeah, because I mean, they're also over an Avalorn, okay, and they're connected through there, and that's High Elves, okay, High Elves, yo, okay. that they, they they are a part of the Elven um culture and history that you would not wish to remove. Now, would a gigantic comet filled with warpstone slamming into a city? relatively close to it make a difference? Arguably, yes, considering you're also on the side the side of a massive wood there, which may also have um, uh, connections to the world roots. Um, indeed, the arrival of that comet almost certainly turned the um, hunger wood into the Verhungern that we know it um, as today. Mm. Um, so it almost certainly tainted that wood. But again, Warhammer world is really big, regardless of how small the total war game may make it look. The distance between Mordheim and Griffin Wood is actually pretty fucking huge. The entirety of the Erie Downs stands between it, and the Erie Downs is this big, huge, massive, open area, which is kind of haunted, kind of weird. Lots of old um, issues with undead because of Sylvania just to the south. Um, It became really bad when the arrival of the comet hit. Um, It's really far away, so... Um, In terms of it connecting to that one and me saying yes, yeah, probably not. It's far enough away that the impact of that crater, because it was not a proper meteorite, don't think of it as one. This was literally Bellicor arriving. So it's not a proper one that's designed to destroy the world. Belakor's arrival was not a standard impact hit. That big massive explosion didn't wipe out the city completely that a two-mile-high pillar of fire would have done. It's hmm. Belakor with a bunch of Sigmarites praying like mad to try and stop it. It may have killed many millions of folk, but it was certainly not as powerful as a comet of its size should have been. Um, so I think my answer is, contrary to my own preference, Probably not. Yeah, But but I like the idea
0: that there might have There's been also, another world route closer by that might have been affected. Uh, but hell. Even, <laughs> Sherlock Holmes. Thank you, Hammond.
1: Ugh. Fucking uh. hell. One of the things that amuses me most about Benedict Cumberbatch is that I see him, not frequently, but frequently enough because I think some of his family lived not more than about, I don't know, 500 meters away from my house. Um, so he's often seen kicking around a part of Edinburgh and I'm like, oh look, it's Benedict Cumberbatch. I, I ran him. How- he
0: knows that like everybody likes to make him techless because the the you know because the total war warhammer the version they designed of him looks very similar to benedict um but uh uh but yeah so that's super interesting uh i will say though the follow-up question of would the comet that have hit more time affect the weave fuck yeah that would have affected the weave big time that That's fucking with, like, so much of the world's natural balance, which if you fuck with the natural balance, the weave is going to go, which is going to get the Azrae a little upset.
1: Damn freaking straight it will. Um, Hey, Hammond. Andy, don't forget, Americans and Europeans have a different view on what is considered far away, though. That's true. Um, But it is where, I mean, it's a big distance, far more so than the impact creator would drop.
0: Hey, Wrath of Woo! I love that name, Wrath of Woo. Hey, Rath. uh, first time catching this live thank you for the great lore content do any creatures unique the city leave Mordheim and cause destruction oh you should pick that one up because we Yes, yeah, i was actually just about there's yeah. questions about i was it's gonna answer but yes uh so there are creatures that in total war they got given a slightly different name which is they're called the things in the wood uh but they are more commonly known as bale wolves yeah. um and the bale wolves of mordheim are a really freaky creature because when you look at them they kind of look like weird wolves with like skull heads But what they actually are in the story is they are people who became horribly infected by some kind of weird mutation that turns them into functionally werewolves with exposed skulls and fluids leaking out of them and exposed muscle. And they're awful. They're horrible, horrible creatures. Um, But they do howl, which is how they got the name of wolves. And they're vaguely wolfish in appearance. They have like fur fur that you could see between the exposed bits of flesh and muscle and whatever. But the thing that's terrifying about them, that total war does not actually showcase is that it's a disease technically. And it spreads. If you get bitten by a Beowulf, you will turn into a Beowulf. And it is in-
1: say that so it's like you're saying Beowulf, like the old, oh, no, no, Beowulf. not
0: Beowulf. <laughs> wolf. <Beowulf. laughs>
1: <Beowulf. laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, um, I,
1: I really like the werewolves. I think they're awesome because um, they're another example of how Games Workshop doesn't really know what it wants to do with werewolves. <laughs> I mean, it's tried so it's many different versions.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Literally
1: every type of werewolf you can get is in Warhammer somewhere in one version of the game. Um, and it's another version um, where, obviously, it's got the spreading aspect to it, which is super fun. Um, I really like them, and it also... It shows that Warhammer doesn't just need to be, oh, look, here's another Night Goblin. Oh, look, here's another zombie. Here's another standard creature that's come out of one of the army lists. It shows that there is a plethora of crazy, weird creatures out there, and it's really nice to see them uh, express.
0: Yeah, and what's really interesting is I actually do like how they kind of interpreted it for Total War Warhammer of that over the last 300 years, these things have spread, which they are literally called things in Mordheim. So, calling them things in the woods is appropriate. But a, mm. that they escaped from Mordheim, which makes sense, especially because it's infectious, and yeah. were became things that can be found in the dark, horrible woods of Ostermark, which then led up into kitslev But that over the over these centuries, they in some way, shape, or form became bound to the spirits that live within those places enough that the hags are able to form packs with them. Um which is Perfect. not With that. Yeah, I that's like. actually pretty reasonable. Um yeah. and they for, for the hags they would make pretty horrifying fucking things to call upon, especially oh, yeah. because they're physical, which is very bad. <laughs> so I actually like that a lot. Uh the the idea of a hag sending one after somebody and all it has to do is bite you or scratch you enough and you're doomed to become one, that is excellent horror. I fucking love that. That's great.
1: That's all. Yeah, they're great. What's
0: next? Uh let's see. Um uh okay, so this is an interesting question. The uh though it's simple, which is Jiggy asks, is Mordheim an exception to what y'all have talked about in the past where warp stone can manifest naturally? But what we've kind of talked about is it's not really warp stone. Um, yeah. and also there was a finite amount of it. Yeah. Um, so if you want
1: to just be relatively um objective about it, to try and separate all the details that are said uh, in the setting and people's attempt to understand it within the setting and just look at it for what actually happened a chunk of warpstone is removed from Morslieb by Bellacor Bellacor is inside that warp stone because it's a piece of pure chaos it comes down and on impact shatters into lots of smaller parts this unfortunately is the downfall of Bellacor's greater plan because he is in all of it um, and he's spread across, but his manifestation within it turns that warp stone to effectively weird stone um, and allows it to be manipulated much more easily than normal warp stone. If you pick up a chunk of warp stone, you're going to mutate. You pick up a bit of warp stone from Mordheim, and you probably won't. The weird stone that was gathered around Mordheim was very different. Um, and whilst a lot of it was obviously a lot smaller, the huge chunks that I'm getting to pick up, they're like tiny little shards of stuff that were getting sold for enormous quantities of money. Um, they were going over and weighing it, doing stuff with it. Some people were using special attempts to try and uh, pick it up using heavy gloves or whatever because it's dangerous. They all know it's dangerous. It's magical, but it's not as dangerous as the work Yeah, and uh, and
0: Yeah. And kind of a thing is that a lot of writers kind of goof it in that you'll find in some uh, different like Black Library novels and stuff, they'll treat Weirdstone and like it's the exact same thing, and that's more just a miscommunication between different authors over the last 40 plus years.
1: Oh, if I got some audio weirdness, let me bang my mic and annoy everyone. Um, yeah, you're good now. Um
0: good. Good Michael, you. thank you very, very much for the generous super chat. Thank you. Good to you see not, you, Rick. Michael. You're the best. Oh, yeah, uh, Train Michael- of Ulrich. Uh, okay, so we talked about the Beowulf, so I can skip all those questions. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, okay. So Jenny has a question of, and I think we kind of answered that this, that it's more due to licensing problems of would there ever be a possibility of seeing a more time focused in Warhammer fantasy roleplay fourth edition?
1: Yes there there's a possibility of it if the licensers whoever have it which I presume is going to be Cubicle 7 for some time now given they've done a new deal um buy the license for more time now it's very possible games workshop itself might decide that more time is no longer a separate license they might just go now nah, you've got Warhammer away you go but when i was doing it more time was very much a separate license that was handled completely discreetly and it meant that any development towards more time um, would require a separate license, so someone else, I imagine, could probably go along and ask for it. The, the Rookery
0: Publications the license? I have,
1: <laughs> we have no desire to do that. We're quite happy being posted. <laughs> Thanks very
0: much. Um, um, also, for the Emperor on the Car Fund, I agree. Thanks very thank much. Thank you, Elemental. Really appreciate that. Thank you. You so much. rock um thank you so uh but uh yeah uh, it would be cool to see i think it'd actually make for a really fun campaign book especially if they made it kind of like an interior area where you could have high level characters and it's like super fucking dangerous uh mm-hmm. that could be quite fun um uh, we've talked about the Sisters of Sigmar and stuff. Uh, the actual Sisters of Sigmar aren't around anymore, but there are some orders that are kind of descended from them in a sense. I wouldn't
1: say that they aren't. I'd say that they're in a state of um, uncertainty. They're, they're Schrodinger's order. Um, <laughs> Schrodinger's order. Um, in that it's very possible that they will exist somewhere in the Warhammer world just simply because they existed previously, and a later writer will go, I want to use them. Um, So I wouldn't say that they don't exist. I'd say that as it currently stands, we have no proof they exist.
0: There you go. All right. Uh, Let's see. Uh, We've already answered all of these. Oh, oh, okay. This is kind of a fun question from Jiggy. Uh, Jiggy's last question of, uh, we already know it's bad in other parts of the world, but what would Geheimnis not be like in Mordheim?
1: Bad. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so... Um, I think it's worth saying that the amount of weird stone that's kicking around in Mordheim would mean that more often than not, Morslieb is going to be there, present, possibly full more commonly than it is anywhere else. Come Geheimersnacht, and come the Hexenstacht, It's going to be full, large, and probably bigger and nastier than it is anywhere else. Now, there's lots of different reasons for why this may be the case. But as is explained in multiple sources across the lore, places that are heavily magical or heavily tainted tend to have Morslieb full and sometimes permanently full. Mm -hmm. So I would see no reason why that wouldn't be the case. If, for example, I were to send my PCs in my Lawhammer game that I'm running (laughs) online just now over there, um, they they were <laughs> i mean if they were stupid enough to decide that that was a good place to go damn straight morsley would be full when they got there and its baleful influence would be felt um mordheim is not a safe place
0: god i really want someone to do a photoshop edit of the the lawhammer gang in like the style of it's always sunny and it's always sunny the, the gang goes to more <laughs> <laughs> but yeah uh, that,
1: that would be a thing Um,
0: uh, but uh yeah it would be bad uh plus i mean that's a place that's so tainted by magic um where the dead never rest easy and demons can appear literally very very easily so it's yeah. awful super awful um All right. Uh, Okay. There's a lot of goof questions in here, Um, (laughs) uh, which, okay. I just want to add, Andy sometimes knows the most obscenely tiny details. So I'm just curious if any of these would have him know, I can answer that. Or if he just thinks they're all stupid questions too. So Biofoot asks, what would the municipal water system be like in Mordheim? Right. So it's an old
1: city Um, that much we know um uh we know that it's got it had a massive extensive library in fact the biggest building in Mordheim was this enormous library um we know that it was at the forefront um of politics and the empire as a whole we also know that it's very close to the world's edge mountains these small combinations of facts loosely leave you with and a very clear it had sewers very clear because it's a big city in Warhammer. Um, and at this era, they had sewers because they'd had them almost since the beginning. And the video gave they Empire. had sewers. Yeah,
0: Warhammer.
1: totally. Okay, so they have sewers. So do they have a water system? The answer immediately comes up with, yes, they absolutely do. Um, We know that they've got sewers, which means they've got piping systems, which means that they're going to be, just with the very basic understandings of gravity, capable of even piping water into places, they're going to have water pressure. So the answer is that it did, does it after the explosion? Well, I reckon there's probably a good location or two that you could build out of some cisterns or some underground horrible uh, <laughs> ugh, mess of a sewer system. So the answer is probably to all of that, yes. Okay, and also <laughs> Hammond dropped in there. Hey Hammond, and the Lord Celestial said, "Woe be to
0: those who touch weird stone and my Weird son. Don't touch his Weird son, guys. That's don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't touch people's Weird sons. <laughs> Just leave them alone." Uh, okay. I'm going to skip the rest of these goofy questions, even though I know Andy Andy can answer them. I'm going to skip them. Um, let's see. Uh, Servant of Sin. If Gelt was knocked out and stripped of all his possessions and slapped into Mordheim, would he survive? Mandatory Gelt question achieved. Thank you. I would say he probably would. He's a skilled wizard. I'm going from turning to spawn because the only thing he deserves. (laughs) Uh, what is the fishman's relationship with Mordheim? We already answered that. There's a river and uh, uh, there are things in there. It's actually very well documented, especially because there's a big thing down there with tentacles that is actually super dangerous. Uh, eats a lot of people. Uh, who's the best Mordheim faction? Ooh, that's a spicy question. How long is a piece of string? <laughs> um I mean, it's it's uh,
1: it's really down to personal taste i mean when uh, the game reached its common i mean now there's like, like 30 factions sitting in there if you go through all the various literally factions.
0: everyone and then some
1: <laughs> yeah okay totally. if you look at all the factions that are added by the town crier over time and then finesse because some of them got gently changed with the rats over the course of time you had everything from the ones that we all know our pit fighters and our cults of the possessed our skaven or whatever but we also had a pretty much every province of the empire given a faction the Tilians mm-hmm. given a faction dark elves given a faction i Elves given a fashion different clans of skaven given a flashing the restless dead given a faction there are so many and it really just comes down to which one do you like most um and i don't think any of them are particularly better than any of the others because quite a lot of balancing went into them over the course of time because the game got played a lot
0: i will say if you uh put i i through my personal experience if you take a bunch of grongyard uh or however you properly say it, because uh, uh, I can't say it right, but if you get a bunch of uh, angry old people that played Mordheim back in the day in a room, and you gave them a gun with five bullets, they would shoot the guy that played Hiles five times. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Hiles are awesome. I mean, it's almost like Thomas really loved the Hiles or something.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I I will never forget being a 12-year-old in my local hobby store and listening to old dude's bitch about the guy who had three three little high elf models and he was wiping out entire war bands which as didn't. I recall,
1: I'm quite right too as I recall though, I think um, Thomas um, played with the uh, I'm pretty curious, he played with witch hunters um, and he ended up releasing a whole bunch of extra witch hunter rules um, ones that he considered for the game but didn't put in because he'd already given them everything already <laughs> um, so yeah, totally yeah uh,
0: uh some random questions i do see from the chat uh someone uh uh theonic Jesus theon theona Jesus i love that ask uh can you tell us a little bit about the cult of the possessed the one Jesus oh the one, the one. Oh, that makes more <laughs> sense uh okay
1: so oh, that's not the right one i got the wrong one it's the one just um, above that. there it is there it is there it I is There. i will let
0: you take that one away because i don't actually know that much about them off the top of my head um <clears throat> i
1: didn't use the cult of the possessed if i'm honest um uh all I remember is that they were
0: the mutants. I haven't even bothered reading up in them. Before. I think they're, I think they're the Bellicor faction. Um, um, they let uh, demons into themselves, if I remember correctly, as their gimmick. I can't remember, which is really annoying. Um, well, will, okay. There's always
1: will, one question that throws me. I'll go. Check I will it say, the I do
0: remember. I do remember they have characters that are the concept of humans that are possessed by demons and get strong. I'll also say that I do remember, just out the weird facts, that um,
1: their cult leaders were called magisters, as I recall, which was really interesting because um, I had a discussion with Games Workshop back in the day about whether we could use the word magister um, for wizards of the empire um, and they fling between saying yes that's what the wizards of the empire are called the ones in the college is magic are magisters to fling on the other side no magisters possessed and and they're most definitely not to be used for that so you'll find that different role-playing books will either use magister or not for that
0: yeah, never mind uh, i like um, i do know a lot about them because they're the playable faction in the video game they are the Bellacor faction they are the
1: um, Bellicor faction. Yeah, yeah,
0: they're they're the servants of the Dark Master, and they have a very specific gimmick around. Some of them allow themselves to be possessed by demons, which is a documented thing that can happen in Warhammer. It's rare, but it does exist within certain groups. It it, 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 it
1: happens a lot with Bellicor because Bellicor does a lot of possession as well. Um, him and his entire crew do a lot of possession. Um, as I recall, weren't they the ones that um they had like entire rituals around the whole idea that uh, they viewed mutation. Um it was obviously blessed, but they almost did it like stigmata, like the idea of blood flowing from them. But for them, it was the mutation that flowed free from them, the stigmata of the flesh. Uh so what long ago since I've read that though. So yeah, um,
0: uh, which by the way, this is a totally random aside. We are not sponsored or anything by them. The Mordheim video game is fucking fantastic. Oh, yeah, Great brutal. Game. You can get it for two dollars right now, uh, yeah. until the first week of November. It's two dollars, it's normally like 20 or something. It's a fucking awesome game. It's brutal, yeah. but it's fun as fuck. Um, it's fun. But uh yeah, Cult of Possess, actually a really fascinating group, uh, because they value possession very heavily, which is not something you see a lot in Warhammer because possession is often hard to do correctly. It usually kills the person almost immediately, and a demon will usually like explode out of them and it's bad. Um but, the idea uh,
1: here is that there's a host of rituals um, attached to it and religious aspects to it that allow the mutation to settle, Well, pardon me, the possession to settle without immediate death, which is super fun. Um, and it also... Anything that stands contrary to the established rule is always fun for Warhammer. So if the established rule is if you get possessed, you die quickly. There's always going to be someone out there who has figured out how to do it better. And the idea that Belakor, that effectively the god of chaos undivided, has found a method of allowing possession to occur because he's not, for example, deep into the excess of Slanesh, which causes it to go completely out completely out of control uh, or some atel- alternative for each one of the other chaos powers it um it gives that particular god a unique character and I really like it
0: yep uh and then the Famir question uh I don't think they had a war band but I would be shocked if there were not Famir that appeared in wartime yeah I'm pretty sure they didn't as I recall. Um, I'm going
1: through my head here and I can't remember any. I mean, the Fimmer went through a period of being absolutely unacceptable to use under any circumstances, even though they'd been used in HeroQuest. It was effectively a kid's game. Um, And part of that was a pushback against HeroQuest because several people who found out what the Fimmer origins were and how nasty they were um, and why it was in a kid's game pushed hard. And it meant that there was a certain ickiness attached to the entire species. Me personally, if I was writing the game today, I wouldn't include them. I just wouldn't, mm. because for some people um, who have been through the horrors that um, the game uh, gave for the thimmer, um it's just an unacceptable choice. So I'd be happy dumping them. So I'm not surprised they weren't used, but equally, I'm not surprised that they haven't been taken and turned into something different. Hey, yeah.
0: Sharps. I do enjoy my Femir, but only the new version that has had all that stuff scrubbed out. And the deeper that gets buried, the happier I'll be uh sure thank you for being awesome helping me digest this material dyslexia can be a bitch sometimes any recommendations for our first audiobook my recommendation is always go check felix which has been getting a lot of really awesome attention on uh audiobooks these days
1: yeah, i'm I'm gonna highlight myself as someone who has quite a lot of reading comprehension issues. I read very, very slowly. I'm quite neurodivergent, but we don't discuss that here. <laughs> um, but I also don't use audiobooks because I like trying to slowly but surely make my way through books and novels because i'm I'm stubborn. Um, but I cannot recommend the Coderek and Felix books enough either. They're a lot of fun. So it's a really good place to begin.
0: Yeah, and they've they've been very aggressively pursuing it like the last two or three years. So the entire series is almost on Audible now. It's very nice, well worth it. So okay, we already answered all those. Um, uh, Okay, kind of an interesting question by Surrogate Gaia. Uh, I agree, Biofoot. Yes, definitely. uh, Honestly, and we we owe a lot of the thanks to that for uh, that they've been salvaged in any way to to. Um Wolfrup in that it it did. I, I would say sense. that um if we're gonna pop it down to
1: a single book, I would say it was the um storm of magic book, which brought them ah, back that's okay, like, that's one of one. the summonable creatures, um, and drop them in there. Um, their inclusion in there meant that when we did Warhammer, I could say precedent in Warhammer 8 to use it. I would like to use it again, and I would like to not just smooth off those edges. Take away those edges, please. Thanks very much. Yeah. Um, and and I'm really glad that, that so, Storm to-
0: Magic and then Forge World. Um, they they cleaned yeah. up and put out a lot and they really cleaned it up. Absolutely. Totally. Um, all right. Uh let's see here. Uh surrogate guy asks, after Magnus raised the city, was there anything really left of it in the current age? Uh go raise yes. City of the Damned. Go check and feel the city of the damned. It literally tackles more time in the modern modern timeline. And the answer is loosely yes. Uh, Let's see. <laughs> Dr. Okay, this is this is a goof question, but it has a genuinely interesting answer. <laughs> Dr. Bloody Four Gorst asks What is the taxation percentage an average Mordheimer has to pay in gold or warp shards? You joke, but in the little shantytown to build up around Warpstone, there oh, were yeah. brutal taxations trying to get weirdstone shards from people. Um, which are actually reflected if you played the tabletop game or the video game, where a percentage of your gold and the Warp uh, Weirdstone shards were you lost them to the various groups and political factions around time that you had to deal with in order to survive.
1: So yeah, taxation is just a part of life, and just because the place is a hellhole, you, if anything, guess get taxed more.
0: Yeah, <laughs> even in the realm of chaos, some asshole will figure out how to get taxes to work. Damn straight. Um, <laughs> Let's see. Uh, hmm, I don't really know where that question's asking, so I'm going to go ahead and skip it. Um, uh, okay. Malasar asks, "Why were the Sisters of Sigmar the only really female-centric order of Sigmar? Everywhere else that I've seen, Sigmarites are pretty chauvinistic, but in the City of Hell, the girls were the only loyal and faithful ones. Why wasn't this replicated anywhere else with any other order of Sisters of Sigmar?" Type it has order? been. It, it well, has been. You know, yeah, right? we'll Say, talk for example, about
1: this is a faith in, uh, faith in ch- charity that I added to um, Tome of Salvation. That's another one. Yeah, and that's second uh,
0: edition Wolfrup, which was uh, a while it ago. Is sec-
1: so that's second edition Wolfram. So I added them in, and they were also one of the first ones to get the um signs that the end times were coming. Um, And they moved from being a standard nun order into being a warrior priestess order because they realized that the end times were coming. So they became Uh, warrior priestess order that were getting ready for war. Their armor was covered with uh, uh, thorns, tip to toe. If you want to see an image of them, go check the uh, Blood on the Reich image. Um, The Blood on the Reich book that came from Black Library. Mm -hmm. Um, It's got all the concept art that was made for one of the old Warhammer uh, online games, and that included Sisters of of Sigma that had wrapped thorns all around them to keep people away from them and um, that's super fun uh, but yeah there, there's quite a few of them it's just that uh, because often these games are written by men for men or boys for boys depending how you want to look at it they often forget girls even exist Um, <laughs> so it's sad but true and it takes a certain amount of uh, experience Different writers bringing different things to the table for you to realise just how bad and sexist the people who've created the material are often accidentally being. Um, one of the reasons why I often co-write with my wife and a lot of things is that I will write it on. she'll come in and say, What the fuck are you doing? And I'm like, okay, oh, yeah, yeah, wait a minute. Uh, um, <laughs> she's like, yeah, why did you do it like this? And then I explain it, and then she'll argue, and then we'll get ourselves different points in place.
0: Hey, Mandatus, Mandatus. Oh, yeah, we already spoke to you earlier. Yes, thank you uh, again uh, very much. Uh, there's an awesome mod for Warhammer 3 that brings the Mordheim cult into Bellicor's faction. Oh, that's cool. I'll yeah, we'll oh, have to check that out. That's cool. I, I will definitely check that out. Yeah, for uh, which uh, you kind of mentioned that if you play the Mordheim video game, the spe- each of the factions kind of has a special character. Um, the head cultist for Bellicor is a woman who is fucking terrifying. She's got a really good design too. Um, the, the magisterix, uh, she is awesome. Magistrix. Magistrix, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm American. I don't pronounce things <laughs> correctly. Um hey, it's uh, an
1: Italian word, I suppose.
0: <laughs> uh, the uh, we we answered all these already. We uh, we talked about the um the big uh angry oak. Um, which mm-hmm, presumably, I would imagine either it starved out over the years when people stopped coming to Mordheim, or it was destroyed by Magnus and his crew when they rolled up. That's probably one of the things yeah. they would have smiled imagine. Him. I imagine
1: it exists to this day in that, some form in some fashion, I'm perhaps trapped away in a shard of time or some equivalent. According to the um, Civil
0: War, it actually does because it's a landmark. Yeah, you bring it
1: back. Totally. It's got yeah, the well, rampaging
0: uh, oak, but uh, definitely uh, not the one willow. Yeah, no, I, actually significantly scarier. Um, yeah. uh, let's see. Are you guys hoping to see from the bloke person any more time stuff make its way into the old world? Yes, I think we've actually talked about that Definitely. a fair number of times. And a lot I of the hope that's the case.
1: The yeah. studio's in a position where it can use all of that lore freely. And without any restriction, so I'm hoping that a good chunk of it passes through, largely because it is such an influential location and is at the very heart of what is occurring at the old world. In that, the old world game is ultimately the next rise of chaos as the incursion comes. Um, and the last one was more time. You know, it's <laughs> it's M- Magnus is to the modern Warhammer what more time is
0: to Magnus. Yep, a uh, book person. Also, is there any lore you can give me on Eonir, the Sword of Twilight, which does oh, not me?
1: I should have read that one up. I haven't read about Eonir for ages. All I remember is he was a high elf that was kicking around women, wasn't he? Oh, uh, he was a sword master. Women, I'm, I'm running through my brain now. Oh, I can't remember enough of him. I just remember he was a sword master. Um, gosh darn it! That's really annoying that I can't remember of it. I should have read this all up beforehand. That would have been useful. Um,
0: okay he's not the elf i'm thinking of i'm thinking of a different elf
1: yeah he was um a sword master and i can't remember his rules we can pick that up in a separate one um yeah.
0: sorry but, well feel free to ask us again in the future because now that we've had it of yeah, like we can't remember. Model. I,
1: I converted that model twice into two different elves it was really cool I haven't read that for a long time
0: <laughs> well ask us next time <laughs> yeah next time <laughs> uh let's see um uh, what happened to the Sisters of Sigmar after Magnus the Pious raised Mordheim? Did any other Sigmarite temples try to establish them? Uh, we kind of talked about, uh, they're, they're, because they're a Mordheim thing, nobody else really got played around with them that much, but yeah. it's likely their descendants destroyed. that have it's survived likely the core order
1: core order's probably destroyed and that there's probably remnants of it in a variety of different fashions elsewhere. I think the idea of the uh, seer And the augurs that they had almost certainly lives on in a variety of different ways.
0: Yeah, especially if you think about the fact that they had Ostermark's rune fang, it had to get out of there somehow, and they are probably the ones that delivered it, which means they probably survived into some other part of Ostermark at the very least. Hmm. Uh, Let's see. Hearn, has there ever been a legitimate attempt to resettle Mordheim? No. Uh, I would not think so. Maybe, but it would be a damn fool's errand.
1: Yeah, to that. Um, I imagine there's been all manner of folk who have made various forays into the place. It's the classic example, would be a little comic that says, oh, We're going to creep into Mordheim because of all the great treasures that are there, or they happen to um, be making their way up to, say, Waldenhof, a um, relatively mm. important town that's on uh, Sylvania, and you have to pass through, um, you have to literally pass through good old Dread Mordheim to get there by boat Um, and I can imagine that being a super fun scenario, the horrors that you have to offensively hide from as you glide your way through Hmm. the ruins that lie to either side. So resettling seems exceedingly unlikely, but it wouldn't surprise me if some foolish bandits have have tried to hold themselves up there at various points and they have probably died or become something worse because of their foolishness. Um, It'll start off a little bit, you know, oh, it's fine, and then the creaks and then the awfulness and one of them disappears. (laughs) You get the idea. There is a story to be told
0: there. Yep. I I will say if you wanted to do a really fun role play thing, uh, you could do the idea of someone who is like secretly a cultist or wants to do something involving knowing Bellicor's there trying to sell the idea of oh we should just go resettle it like it's got all this stuff here we could go like salvage it or whatever and he's like using people to get him into the city and get closer that could be a lot of fun mm-hmm. uh, let's see um... <laughs> I
1: just looked up in her, just as a small aside and fortunately my memory wasn't that bad sort of Twilight fuck very little is known about mother, and he's a really tall elf <laughs> who may have been ass- from the legendary order of sword masters so i'm feeling rather pleased with myself for barely remembering anything because the the character himself is mysterious having wiped out entire bands by himself so yes not a lot that can be said on top of yeah, that Yeah, there, there's another question about one.
0: him from uh loopy which is what is iron's obsession with mordheim what keeps him there and that i don't know it- if that's known I, and I don't think it will be, but I think that uh, I think the
1: obsession aspect is the answer. Obsession comes hand in hand with what the weird stone was doing to everybody in the place. What keeps him there? You could argue that the answer is the same answer for everyone else. Bellacor.
0: Mm. You know, he shouldn't be there if he was wise. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, why should Bretonia be added if there's a new Mordheim skirmish game? Uh, Bretonia was a playable faction. If you use the extended rules, they were fucking hilarious because they took cavalry into Mortheim, which was yep. so stupid. But the actual knights were super strong. You could only have yeah. like one or two per warband, but they if they actually could get to someone on their horse, it was very rare they would not whoop the shit out of them.
1: Um, 10 Cryer, number eight. Tim number eight. I remember yeah, that
0: one very peasant heavy warband uh most so warbands biased. had like a big creature you could have like the Skaven could have a rat ogre or the cult of possessed could have a chaos spawn for the Bretonians, they could have a knight <laughs> which is hilarious mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh let's see uh okay this is kind of an interesting question from gree did mordheim's destruction prompt the empire to ward their cities much better from potential magical destruction or did they have any kind of security measures or do anything? to potentially prevent something like that from happening. No. Yep. And I think there is something to say that there's a (laughs) lot of arrogance to humans. Like, think about our world. When a tragedy happens to a city, you would figure everybody would go, oh, we need to make sure that doesn't happen to us. And Okay,
1: I'm going to give a different answer. Okay, the answer is no, because that's the actual answer. They didn't do anything special. However, it was used as an object lesson by the cult of Sigmar. Um, This is what happens when you become lost. There's a variety of awfulness that was happening in Mordheim and then the hammer of Sigmar comes down and blows them all up. See, Sigmar was punishing them. So, what did they do to shield against it in future? Uh, more aggressively pursued their Sigmarite agenda.
0: Yeah, 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 that's fair. Yeah, it it, it probably... So
1: really, they did nothing.
0: Yeah, it might tie a little <laughs> bit into um the, the cult of Sigmar kind of strengthening its grip especially like the um the uh cult of the cleansing flame or the order of the cleansing flame uh groups yeah. like that it wouldn't really be i mean
1: it wouldn't really be properly until the arrival of the Colleges of Magic 300 plus years later, um, that they were really in a position where they could start thinking about the concept of warding. Before that, you'd have been left with dwarf runes, and uh, dwarf runes are not exactly known for uh, resolving astrological events. <laughs> um, dwarves themselves being an underground people, so they're focusing on things that affect them. Earthquakes, cave they are the disasters that, is- that the
0: dwarves are dealing with. Mm-hmm. um, I have to say that would genuinely be the funniest secret master rune for someone to find is a master rune very specifically against <laughs> meteors and comets. Like, what? Why did they make this?
1: Why did they make it? Yeah, totally. So the alternative would have been effectively cult magic or divine magic, if you wish to use the word magic along with that. Miracles and the like. So now we're talking about holy people doing prayers, chants, rituals, and of course they do that sort of stuff. The problem with a lot of that is, though, it's hokum and um, a lot of it isn't actually summoning the god at all. Um, the vast majority of their worshipers aren't really all that holy because it's the Warhammer world and it's kind of broken. Um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: With funny, random insight to our personal conversations. Me and Andy have had some back and forths about sigmarism in regarding <laughs> my witch hunter. Uh, which has been funny. Of that, there are things that my witch hunter would disagree very much with Andy about how Sigmarism works and how <laughs> how the religion is supposed to function. Which is really but that's funny.
1: the that's the nature of it. It's all uh, it's all in character, so to speak. Yes. Uh, what is the objective truth? The objective truth is a difficult thing to find.
0: Um, Doctor Bloody, what additional factions would you want to see added into Mordheim? Uh, if the old world made it brought the game back. Um, okay, I so I don't know if there's anything the town criers missed.
1: <laughs> yeah, so the factions that are offered by all the town criers really do give you a little bit of everything, ranging from Kislevites to Tillians. They don't have an Estalian one, as I recall. Maybe no stallions, but they're basically any old world nation that hasn't been mentioned, you could throw them in. Um, However, if I was looking at it as a whole, I'd be looking at um, adding extra character. So you'd want to do things like adding cool rat catchers because that's such a common thing from Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. So you'd want to include those. They also stand as a nice um, counterpoint to Skaven. So uh, different versions of Wizards. There was actually a surprising lack of... um, the winds of magic and exactly how they would manifest in lots of different ways. I'd maybe add those in as extra dramatis personae, for example, some extra cool characters or hirelings or some equivalent. So there's lots of things you could add, but I think in terms of the overall quantity of material that's already been added, um, it's got an almost embarrassment of wealth in terms of how much there is there that you can play. You could play a league and have everybody in like a 30-person league play a completely different faction. So
0: yeah, I highlight like this because the last Rookery episode I watched.
1: Ah, <laughs> uh, the good old small but vicious dog.
0: Yeah, I will say uh, I would kill for a Cathay faction. Uh, I think they could do a lot of really fun things with the Cathay. They could even have multiple Cathay ones from like the different yeah, could. parts um, or like. They their- already had
1: Cathayans in there though, so it's not like they were never mentioned. Um, yeah,
0: I wouldn't want to see the new versions. Like, yeah, that'd be like Onyx Croman cool. showing up in uh, more would be like that far cool. away. That'd be pretty awesome. Uh, it'd be impressive, but I, I don't know. I, I I think they could pull it off, <laughs> but uh uh that would be a lot of fun. Um, but uh yeah, just modernizing. You know what I would need? Gnomes. <laughs> now that uh, they're, they're officially back, as far as I'm concerned. I, I, mean, I would definitely go.
1: if I was doing it, I would definitely include a single gnome character, um, yeah. uh, a, sh- a shadow wizard who had come from Yes, um, a gaggle of
0: yeah. Crowmen. Thank you, Potrack. <laughs> uh, um, gaggle of freaking chromin. Oh, uh, Radiant Ash, thank you very much for the raid, by the way. Really appreciate it. We're just answering hey! questions about more time yeah, now. We're just going to the
1: end of our more time questions. Uh, uh Sigma God and Sulcan versus Talus God, and I'm not going to pronounce it.
0: I don't know enough Here about the Elder Scrolls Lord to answer that.
1: Yeah, neither do I, <laughs> sadly. Um, I know bets and
0: bobs, but I wouldn't like. I to don't say even. Yeah, I don't even know who Gigolo is. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know who that god is. Um, yeah. uh, I know who Talos is. I don't like that. That looks like a Daedric god, but I don't recall that one. Which means I maybe they're not a Daedra. Um, He's gonna bring that and see. Of course it fucking yeah. is. Why didn't they do that in the novel? <laughs> <Yeah. And> instead, <laughs> they said, a gaggle of crewmen. I have myself a soapbox. I'm about to climb on. Nope, no, we don't have time. <laughs> uh, yes, Text Reef, you are correct. There were at least <laughs> two notable errors in the short story about the crowman that are very funny, but also sad, but mostly funny. <laughs> and That was one of them, is they're crows and they got called a gaggle. <laughs> oh, no. Um, let's see. Uh, oh, okay, this is a really interesting
1: question. <laughs> Laughing God has dropped in with a wish inspired Cathay martial artist exploding heart, a
0: rat That could be quite fun. We are still desperately waiting for the Total War DLC that gives us the Dragon Monks. I'm so excited for the Dragon Monks. We know they exist. We just need to get them. Uh, Jigalag is the uh, Daedric Prince of Order. Oh, okay. I mean, oh, thank you. I don't know enough. Sorry. I don't know enough about power scaling and I think power scaling between universes is usually an effort of futility anyway, but uh, uh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, I haven't. Um, so well, probably, be really Superman. interesting question here. Are there other Mordheims around the Warhammer world uh, cities that got pummeled by Warpstone meteors or other unique um, natural disaster, natural uh, disasters um, that made them into something like Mordheim, or is Mordheim a very unique place? I would say yes and yes. Yeah, that's what I was going to (laughs) say. Yeah. Mordheim is the Uh, only city that Bellicor impacted into. I'll put it that way.
1: So More Time is absolutely unique in that it's where a chaos god attempted to become an uh, overlord of all and failed. Um, and that makes it by its very nature unique. That's the story that was being told there. Um, however, on the other side, have other parts of the Warhammer world been struck by gigantic comics and cha- comics? Comets <laughs> and changed them forever? The answer is again, Yes, if we're talking, just say, the Maw from our previous stream, when we discussed the Maw, that's how it was created. And that may have landed upon the equivalent of an ogre city. Um, The Maw is just another example of what these great events can cause. Um, It became something very different. Just think of what Mordheim could have become under slightly different circumstances. If, for example, Bellacor had largely succeeded, it would effectively have become another chaos gate. Um, That would have massively changed the world. A new god would have formed there. So the answer is loosely yes. We've got lots of examples of comets. We've got lots of examples of their impacts where the story has yet to be fully told. I'll give a single example. No, I'll give two examples. Um, and just the empire alone. And this is just one part of the world. Um, I won't go for the obvious barren Hills option. I'll go for first Talibheim. Talibheim is called the Eye in the Forest as a city. Um, and that's because it's in the center of a gigantic crater. And the entirety of the river Talibek that comes out from there is said to have been created by the thrashing of the dragon um, that died there with the impact of that. So a mighty dragon, it was a warpstone meteor or some equivalent, strikes there, creates a 100-mile circumference crater, um, and does that. If however we got to Middenland and the border with Nordland into where the Ionier are, we have the Shadden Sumpf, which is an enormous, enormous swamp where the Fimmer were, were very first introduced uh, in a roleplay adventure. And the hmm. Shadden Sumpf um is also the center of a truly enormous depression, which was caused by an impact. Um, and that again completely change it changed that part of the world we got ourselves an enormous cursed swamp much like the cursed marshes it's funnily enough which mm. is possibly how the firmer themselves were wiped out depending upon how one wants to look at it, or possibly how the skaven were created so loosely the answer is oh hell yes in all manner of different ways morsleave spits yeah
0: Hammond, what are you asking specifically with this question are you asking like if the warhammer world has a big war who's the winner <laughs> Like I'm not, I'm not sure I understand the question because it's it's Or likely. just two
1: Andys go toe to toe. Andy's fighting,
0: yeah. <laughs> Andy and Dark and- or no, Andy and Moon Andy. Those are the two. Oh,
1: moon Andy. <laughs>
0: moon <laughs> Andy <is pretty> scary. <laughs> um, all right, we're almost. Uh, I think we only got like,
1: uh, two or three more. Um, let's do two, three more, and then call it an end. So let's see what our last yeah. few
0: are. Um, okay, so Jack of the Eagle asked. Could if if Belichor had tried to possess something else, like an elf, a dwarf, or a dragon, could they have sustained him when the ever chosen could not?
1: Super, super interesting. Now the concept of the ever chosen was more than just the the body itself. It was the very fact that it was the ever chosen. And that's what mattered, because the Everchosen is imbued with the powers of all four Chaos powers, plus the enormous artifacts that it has. And that would have given Belakor extraordinary ultimate power. But as I recall, he didn't quite get the crown in the end, um, meaning that it didn't quite go according to plan. Mm-hmm. And obviously the body, he got kicked out by the Everchosen. There's a big, long story there. I can't remember it all off the top of my head. But the reason that he was chosen was because of that, and it failed. So could other things have um, sustained him? Possibly. But that's not really the important question for Belakor. The important question for Bellacor is, how do I get all the power of the ever-chosen? Because that's what he wants. He wants to take that one last step because he's literally just a step away from absolute power. He's that close, and he has found a route towards it, and that route is to take away a section of the power from the other four chaos powers. And the tu- route that he has chosen is by basically taking the position, the mantle of ever chosen, and th- combining that with the power that those four gods have already invested within him. It effectively makes them equal to them because he's siphoned off like a quarter of their power each, meaning that he's created a new god out of them. It's mm-hmm. really clever. And it's, it's a pretty funky and cool way of uh, progressing. Could a dragon have he- held him? Maybe. Um, there's all manner of rituals in the possessed, which we, I completely forgot the lore of earlier in the stream. Go figure. Because um, that happens sometimes. you got to forget something sometimes. Um, and there's clearly there uh, ways of possessing something that will last for time. It's not just that the ever-chosen wasn't strong enough. It's that the ever-chosen was also too strong and kicked him out. Um, I think it's a complicated situation that will almost certainly be tackled by someone else at some other point and rewritten yeah. into a different if place.
0: anything I think the, the follow-up question that would be very interesting to explore is does the ever chosen have to be a human uh which no. yeah I which, mean yes but no <laughs> <laughs> which uh that would be the fascinating idea to explore is because <laughs> I, I think honestly in Bellicor's kind of pride he, I don't think he would settle for anything less than the ever chosen.
1: Yeah quite I mean um can it be something beyond human? The answer is yes because Archeon is not fully human. Um, now, that's something that we will pick up, I presume, in an Archeon stream at some point. But Archeon was sired by Belakor um, possessing someone else. Um, Archeon is quite literally Belakor's kid um, yeah. and is not fully human. Not entirely not human, but not fully human. It's Do complicated. Have any... It's complicated, <laughs> exactly. He was possessing someone else, so he was in a human body, but it's more complicated than it appears. Archeon is not normal is basically what we start off with. He's different. Um, so we can't have ourselves ever-chosen that are definitely different. And would the chaos gods choose, for example, an elf that had fully fallen to them? Yeah, probably. But the problem with elves is that they're tricksy little fuckers. I wouldn't choose an a ever-chosen that was an elf, if you ask me. Um, and what's the chance of a dwarf falling? Pretty low. But then we've got our chaos dwarves, but we know they're all about Heshat. It's got to be someone that all the chaos war- gods are willing to channel their power into. And we all know that good old hobbits yeah, and- are going to be ignoring
0: that. It's also very important that like the chaos gods are very jealous. Like they don't like ever chosen's occurring necessarily because they're very envious of each other. And they're constantly trying to tempt that individual to them alone. They don't like to share. Indeed. But they equally
1: know that it can't be an ever chosen. It won't work unless it's a, it's a mess really. Yeah, er, so it's a mess. Yeah. It's a mess. <laughs> yeah, it's a, mess.
0: Right, a good uh, mess. uh The last two questions that we're going to ask. Number one. Yes, uh, could GoTrek and Felix clear out more time? There's a book about that. Um, also, like the amount of like plot murder that GoTrek's capable of. Probably it doesn't really yeah. matter what you throw him at; he's going to win.
1: <laughs> yeah. he, he has quite legitimate plot armor.
0: Um, and then, friend into
1: his rules, GoTrek's doomed. Uh, yeah. He has plot armor. Uh,
0: and then Hammond, actually, uh, over on Discord, hey, uh, I believe the last question of. Um, is there a website you can look at that gives you all the factions that were made for more time? Yes. Yeah, there's um, wikis um, minute, that have it. Wait a minute. I think Andy can
1: minute, up. Wait a minute. Um, I'm going to pull up a really good one. It doesn't just give you all the fox factions that were ever written. It's done in a really easy to browse fashion. So let me just post that one in. I'll pop in the intronet to begin with, so you can click on that one. And I'll bring it up here as well. It's the Mordheimer.net. Um, Mordheimer.net is brilliant um, because it takes everything that was ever created more Mordheim and just basically puts it all back out for you in a very easy to browse fashion. If you're on a tablet or an iPad or something similar, super easy to browse through in that. There's loads of funky details that I really wish I'd read before I started it. Um, so yeah, definitely pop over there.
0: Excellent. And I think that's a oh, perfect place to end it. Uh, I think so too. So, uh, thank you all so much for coming by. This was a load of fun. Uh, I actually got to learn a shitload this stream because more time is one of the weaker, uh, parts of my brain when it comes to Warner fantasy. Um, just cause I didn't get to play it that much. Uh, unfortunately, cause by the time I was like, a uh, adult and playing, it was gone. <laughs> so, um, but uh, that being said, um, once again, we're not being sponsored by it, but the video game's on Steam for only $2, and it's very well made. One of the biggest heartbreaks for me is that Game Studios stopped um, adding to it mm. because they were doing a really great job, uh, and then they went and made Necromunda, which sucked. Um, but <laughs> in any event, that's just game devs sometimes. I,
1: I didn't enjoy Necromunda as much. Nah, in fact, no, I only played it for about 10 minutes. Nobody <laughs> did.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it was was really it.
1: yeah um, go figure. But Um, uh, I'd also like to say, if you haven't already, make sure you click like if you're watching on YouTube just now and if you're watching later. Do remember to press subscribe as well because SoTech needs absolutely all of you behind him waving banners because that is (laughs) awesome. And if you have enjoyed it, do please click
0: like and share. Go send it to other people. That'd be lovely. Yes. uh, Also, just a couple quick things. Uh, Make sure you go subscribe over to Lawhammer. Uh, We are over 3k subs now. We're starting to get very close to 5k. Queeks waiting. As soon as y'all hit that 5k so we take if you didn't system. know
1: already um so is working on a video for quick head taker who is the coolest of the cool he does so much in his life um you need to see this video and it will be released when law hammer reaches the heady total of 5k subscribers so if you want to go into a super deep dive lo- lore swim through everything that is quickish, I don't know why I'm swimming through Skaven. It sounds awful. Um, yeah, yeah, it does. <laughs> that Skaven awesomeness, then all you need to do is go over there, click subscribe, and plus you could watch yourself a whole bunch of really interesting War Fantasy Rope videos.
0: Speaking of which, are y'all on tomorrow? Me? Tomorrow? Yes, we're on. we are on tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we are. And,
1: yeah. Ooh, next, to next tomorrow's next.
0: episode is going to be fucking insane. I am so <laughs> excited for tomorrow. It's not another flashback, is it? <laughs>
1: No, 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 no. no. I am insanely
0: excited for tomorrow's episode. Um, And uh, so check it out. Uh, There's a good number of episodes already, like 40. Ish. Yeah, we're over 40 episodes now. Um, we're officially only on episode about 20, but a whole bunch of the
1: episodes are side episodes where we take deep dives into individual characters.
0: It's it's brilliant, it's a lot of fun to watch. Um, uh there, there's a lot of hilarity, a lot of heartbreak, a lot of horror. Um, and uh there are some things the last a episode lot of heresy. In, the last episode in particular, I literally messaged Andy of like that is the most heretical bullshit I have ever watched in my life. This is heresy. <laughs>
1: oh and if you want to know more about magnus the pious watch our one and go what the yeah, yeah uh, good times yeah uh
0: that that is that is uh we you can tell we're reaching the point where uh law hammer is really branching off into a very unique story that would have that has the lore master of SoTech version of the story going bram, bram, bram. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh it's great it's awesome um fantastic to watch um i um, good old Gorka Morka. Yeah, I had a whole bunch of gangs for
1: Gorka Morka, Just as a small aside, just to end um uh, off with there. Thanks very much, Zedron. Is it Zedron? Zedron? Uh, Davis. This yes, Davis. Um, Zedron Davis. Um, yeah, I play Gorka Morka a lot. I was working for Games Workshop at the time, so it was uh. An easy thing to do because I had a pretty hefty discount, so I had a lot of freaking models. Um, yeah, I had a lot of Gorkamorka gangs as I remember, although I didn't like Diganob as much because those human Gorkamorka ones were weird.
0: <laughs> uh and yes, the most recent cool, episode, a weird. The most recent episode was literally called "Girls Gone Wild and Kipper Bad." It is hysterical. <laughs> It is hysterical and kind of gross, but mostly hysterical. Like, I literally had to fast forward, I think, through about 10 seconds because it was like, ah, oh, this is too much about vomit. But uh, <laughs> in any event, uh, uh, also, please check out Rookery Publications. It's fantastic <laughs> to watch. And a lot of good – I'm not joking. I literally had to skip part because I was like, this is just – it's too descriptive. It's gross. I don't want to <laughs> watch this anymore. I'm <laughs> moving on. But uh, – Oh, Good times. Uh, yeah rookery publications as well please check out uh they do a lot of fantastic stuff over there a lot of great interviews they've had all sorts of different people on uh, a lot of people that you all know and love from your favorite black library authors to people who help create warhammer uh to artists to uh game devs even uh they also get more game devs on there but um i've even been on there but uh you're awesome most uh the most recent episode was with the chaos rising guys it is very interesting super fucking interesting um I actually learned a lot about the show that I did not realize which is surprising cuz I was there literally chatting with them about it um learning about the all the stuff behind the creature uh, was really, really interesting in particular. I like that part a lot. <laughs> creature. Yeah. For, <laughs> creature. For, creature things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, um, the creature. <laughs> yeah. So thank you all very much for watching. Uh, that's going to be us for here today. Uh, there is going to be a very fast turnaround between mm-hmm. this episode of Lorebeards and the next one, which is this Sunday. Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, this so right. The vote is going to be on my channel. Um, and it's, it's going to be channel. very short. Like y'all have until we'll probably give you until like s- Friday Saturday. evening, Saturday? Friday, Saturday. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's it's going to be the final Spooktober one. So we're going to pick three pretty terrifying ideas subjects, and uh, we'll see who wins. But anyway, thank you all so much for watching. Take care. Thank and you very much. You all rock. Bye bye. Bye bye.